the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us for the next three hours. We're going to talk to Bernie Federko later in the show. Also talk about the Blues getting ready to get going with Eddie Olchuk of the NHL on NBC. Looking forward to that. And, Michelle, we do have... The return of Blues Hockey today, an exhibition game against the Blackhawks, 4.30 with the pregame here on 101 ESPN. It has been a long time coming, Randy, for Blues Hockey. I cannot wait to see the guys back in action. Yeah, it'll be great, and hopefully nobody gets hurt. That's all I'm looking for, just to go into Edmonton, skate a little bit, nobody gets hurt. Uh, if you want to beat the Blackhawks, that's fine. Right. But Just get your sea legs back, though. That's, that's the big key. Also, the Cardinals will play the second of their two-game series in Minnesota tonight after losing the opener last night by a score of 6-3. to three. And, Michelle, much was made by us of Carlos Martinez and if he is mentally engaged. And it looks, to, for the first couple of hitters, like he was mentally engaged. Randy. <laughs> oh, he was. Well, where are we? One minute into the show, Randy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, let's just... We can, if you weren't able to uh, stay up last night, right, Carlos three and two thirds, seven hits, six runs, all earned, a walk and two strikeouts, and a, a bad error that, yes. uh, that caused. Now, obviously, it didn't cause the Cardinals to lose the game, but what happens is the lineup comes back around in the next inning, and that hurt the Cardinals for sure. There's so many different angles you can look at this outing from Carlos through Randy and. One could be very positive, saying, hey, look at the Twins. Look at that lineup. Look at the power that they have. That is going to be a tall task for anyone, and this is a guy coming back into the rotation. It's essentially the two-year anniversary of him returning to that role with this team. However, not the outing that we wanted to see out of him in his return. He said he was ready to go, and you just expected a little bit more out of Carlos. But it was a a very tough task at hand. He was pretty lucky to get out of that first inning. With as long as that Twins lineup is, he uh, the, he allows the infield hit, and I don't even blame him for the infield hit because there was nobody covering first anyway. It wasn't right. like he was going to be able to do anything there. But then the, the bad throw to second, and all of a sudden you're in a situation where you have the bases loaded against the Twins. And I kind of thought that uh, the Cardinals were going to be behind 4 nothing there. Oh, I did, but without a doubt. Yeah. So to get out of that was effective, and he did wind up settling down a bit after falling behind 5 nothing. What did his manager, Mike Schilt, see from Carlos? I just thought the ball was up out of the plate. I didn't have a chance to look at it, but just felt like, you know, they put some swings on the ball through the middle of the field, and maybe some balls were up. That's what it looked like initially. 
And then later in the game, more life, more movement uh, down the zone. I don't even know if they were up as much as like Polanco's home run to make it 5 nothing, a two-run shot. 91 miles an hour right down the middle. And the same with the Donaldson home runs. I mean, that's batting practice for yeah, these guys. for sure. This is what they're going to feast on. Yeah. So he's got to be a little bit more careful and, again, more engaged because what makes the great ones? We had John Smoltz on the show earlier uh, in the week. You look at a guy like Adam Wainwright over the years. What makes the great pitchers great is amazing focus. The ability to focus in on every single pitch. And not throwing a, a 91 mile an hour sinker that doesn't sink, that lands right in the middle of the plate like a T. And that has been, for the last couple of years, the, the story of Carlos. He doesn't handle adversity well, first of all. And second of all, because he doesn't handle it, he loses focus after something bad happens. And you look at the guys like, let's just take a look at our own situation here in St. Louis. Like Chris Carpenter, even like Jack Flaherty is right now. They generally handle adversity very well and stay focused on the next pitch rather than concerning themselves with the last one. It seems like the guys like that that you mentioned, Flaherty, Carpenter, even Wainwright, if there is adversity, that's fuel to the fire for them. Right. They use it in a positive way. They spin a negative into a positive. Oh, okay, I may have had a misstep. You watch. You're going to doubt me. You watch. And I don't know if we're going to if we we haven't historically seen that out of Carlos, but I'm hoping that this stumble in the road for him is something that he's going to use in a positive way. One thing we do see is the incredible talent, right? Yeah, even, absolutely. Even last night when he has a bad outing, you can see that he has the ability to be great again like he was for 14 15 16 but as you just laid all of that out Randy that's when I start to get nervous that it's it's connecting the dots right it's not okay one tough outing against a very tough lineup it's you could kind of see a little bit of the demeanor of him getting frustrated is that going to carry over into him getting perhaps a little disengaged and losing Mm -hmm. focus it's I, I don't want to jump to that conclusion by any means, but it's just what Cardinals fans, I think, inherently are. It's their muscle memory to yeah. go there with Carlos. And I'm going to go ahead and focus on, I am going to focus on 2020. I'm going to have a needlepoint focus, and hopefully he does as well. And Mike Schilt, who really is able to step back and look at the big picture, had this takeaway from Carlos' performance. Yeah, I think the takeaway, look, you can spin it a lot of different ways, right, Mark? You can look at it and say, you know, Go ahead and club, made him pay for some mistakes. And then you'd also easily say, you know what, the guy got better as the game went. You know, Donaldson just kind of got there and flicked one, but he was really good in the third and was efficient, you know, in the in the fourth. So outside of a few mistakes, Carl's going to be fine. You know, that'd probably be my wrap-up point to it. I'm, I'm not concerned about Carlos. You know, he, he didn't get away with some mistakes and, and um, you know, made him pay. But other than that, he, you know, and you can't overlook it. He gave up, you know, five runs. But outside of that, it was pretty darn effective. Wiggled out of some damage in the first, made pitches. And when Carlos left the bullpen, Michelle, four and a third scoreless innings. Bullpen was great. Yeah, they were. Um, this, uh, listening to Mike Schilt, this kind of was a dose of reality, I think, for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Twins are not the Pirates. Right. You know, this is this is what a really strong contending ball club looks like. And this is what you're going to have to deal with as you continue in this in this short season. And hopefully for the Cardinals, that's something that they come to grips with by the time they get to a game 61, because there are going to be a lot of walkovers. There's going to be Pirates and there's going to be Tigers mm-hmm. and uh, there's going to be some teams that Kansas City that just aren't that good that the Cardinals have to feast on. Yes. When you're playing against 
the Twins and you're playing against the Cubs and the Reds, you, you got to feast on those teams that just aren't as good as you. Also, Randy, are you more concerned about Carlos Martinez's performance last night after getting the news about Miles Michaelis being out for the season? I feel the same about it. Okay. But I am kind of surprised. We're going to talk about Michaelis in the same segment. I, I, I am kind of surprised by the direction the Cardinals are taking, although I, I'm not going to dispute the direction they're taking, but we're going to talk about that in our next segment. The offense, Michelle, all three runs that the Cardinals scored came on home runs, the two-run homer by O'Neill and the solo shot by Tommy Edmond. And here's the big thing. You allow six runs, but even if Carlos allows half of that, if he allows three Against Homer Bailey and the Minnesota bullpen, Cardinals only put two runners in scoring position all night. Got to be better than that. Yeah, 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. And that's no way to score a lot of runs. So even if you were hoping to win this game 4-3, to you had to put more runners into scoring position. And most of the time, even when they would get a hit, it came with two outs. Yeah. So... It is what it is. Yeah. It's a loss. It's And they're two and two. No, and you, you can't afford to be two and two. It's You, you can't afford. You can. But you, what I talked about leading up to the start of the season, they've got to have that six game winning streak. Yes. But so we saw them over the weekend take two or three from the Pirates. I think we walked away from that series generally feeling positive about a lot of things. This is the first in a short series or excuse me, in a shortened season, the first loss where you start to ask yourself some questions and you start to feel the magnitude of the fact that this isn't just a loss. It's a loss that counts for about three. And when you look at the team and you have questions about center field and you have questions about Carlos and you have questions about the rotation as a whole moving forward, that's when those questions start to weigh a little heavier. I do think that offensively, there are reasonable and fair questions. And I'll go back to this. The Cardinals aren't learning anything about Dylan Carlson right now at the secondary camp in Springfield. They know what they have in him. But if the situation in center field doesn't improve, because we are now, like we said, Friday, you're going to be 10% of the way through the season. At some point, don't you have to think, okay, well, we know Carlson is going to be great, and we know that our center field situation is not, although Bader had a double last night. Yes, he did. But I would think sooner rather than later, you have to concern yourself with the consistency of the offense. Not the offensive ability, but the offense's execution. Yeah. Consistency needs to really show itself here. I. I'm not concerned at all, Randy, but I do look at the Twins and I say that's the type of ball club that has a real chance to win. That's, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And you compare and contrast the Cardinals to a team like that, and that's when you start to ask yourself these questions. Yeah, Minnesota, Minnesota set the all-time record for homers in a season last year and then fortified their pitching staff during the offseason. Remember, they wanted to sign Zach Wheeler to big money, and he turned them down to go to Philadelphia. And rather than trying to pick up a bunch of – or one guy – and waste a bunch of money on one guy, they decided to go at it with numbers. So they get Bailey, they get Hill, who's going to go today. They trade for Kenta Maeda. They did a really smart job, I believe, of building this team. And I really like what their organization does. They do a really good job of finding talent on prove-it deals, one- or two-year contracts, and not overspending for guys that they can win. And their pitching is not a world-beating pitching staff. Their starting rotation... One through five isn't as good as the Cardinals rotation, but they did hit 300 home runs last year and they know that 
All they need to do is pitch well enough to allow their hitters to go crazy. And their hitters, they added to that by signing Josh Donaldson. When they didn't get Wheeler, they spent money to fortify an already great lineup by getting Josh Donaldson, who, uh, by the way, uh, probably took advantage of a juice ball last night. Probably. Yeah. Um, Randy, speaking of power, can we end this on a positive note? Yep, let's do it. When Tyler O'Neill hits a home run, we need a name for that. Okay. Because the, he's he's so strong. There's so much power. I've been really impressed with him thus far to this point. And I want I want a name for when he hits a home run. A bro bomb. You know, something that we can throw out there. Well, let's try um, <laughs> the old text line, 65780. Okay. Uh, what should the name of a Tyler O'Neill home run be? That's your question for us, from us, on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. A bro bomb is where it got started here. A bro Neal bomb. Which I don't love. No. We can do much better. But I was thinking about that last night because I wanted to tweet something, and I thought, he's so fun to watch. And when he has a moonshot mm-hmm. like that, we need something that we can identify it as. Get those wheels turning, Randy. I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's not a rarity. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> a miracle. I'm just hoping it's not. I, and we like what we've seen in four games, two two bombs. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Next up, Miles <laughs> Michaelis is out for the year. Daniel Ponce de Leon will start today. But is the Cardinals' approach going to surprise us in replacing Michaelis? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, obviously some bad news yesterday. The Cardinals announced before the game that Miles Michaelis, who had been put on the disabled list earlier in the day, that, that he's going to miss the season and... John Mozeliak met with the media and described what's going on. Miles Michaelis, um, his right forearm flexor, as uh, he experienced in spring training, we were thought we were on a really good path. And then his last couple times on the mound, it just didn't feel quite right. Uh, received an MRI uh, yesterday. It was determined that he will need surgery on that uh, right forearm flexor. And it'll be a tendon repair. Should be a... Uh, uh, back to throwing in about four months, so we do expect him ready to go uh, for spring training 2021. All right. First of all, the tendon isn't torn. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that they're going to repair that tendon. But all of the pitchers wind up having Tommy John. Why try to repair a tendon? Why not just replace it now? He's going to have to undergo Tommy John at some point. So get it over with and do it. <laughs> and when you when he comes back and he's out for a year or whatever, but then when he comes back, then you have a guy that's repaired. What what happens generally is when you have a forearm strain, that flexor tendon strain, it winds up being Tommy John surgery. You wind up tearing your ulnar collateral ligament, and you will get shut down for a year. So why repair the tendon and why not just fix the thing right now? So in reading about this last night, you're you're exactly right. So he's got that tear in his flex and in, in that tendon and it's gotten worse. And to have that surgery is supposed to put a stop to it. So you don't have to have Tommy mm-hmm. John. But it seems like every pitcher, to your point, <laughs> inevitably has Tommy John anyway. Forearm strain to me always means Tommy John surgery. And 
you would hate to see him have to go through not one but two surgeries right. and not one but two longer rehabs. And I'm not a doctor. I play one on the radio, but I can tell <laughs> you, well. yeah, history tells us that this is going to be an issue going forward. Not just now, but if he has the tendon repaired, it sure seems like history tells us that there are going to be further complications. And they had looked at the scan again since spring training, and they were doing non-surgical treatment on this issue. Are you surprised that in spring training when they noticed that there may have been an issue there, that it wasn't something that they were saying, hey, this is going to be an issue moving forward? I'm never surprised with the Cardinals in that regard. They're extremely conservative, and surgery is always a last resort, but surgery almost always happens, too. So you wait four and a half months, you think, okay, well, rest, rehab, and then you wind up doing the surgery anyway. I can't tell you how many times that's happened with the Cardinals. And I guess as a player, you want to avoid surgery at all costs, but when the history shows you again and again and again that they... The, the rest thing doesn't work, do, do the surgery. It does seem like at least once a season we're having a conversation about the Cardinals medical staff yeah. and, um, you know, what what they're presenting to the public. And now, internally, they may be having completely different conversations about this. But if you're saying, OK, he's going to be out two weeks, we can already go ahead and anticipate it's probably going to be a month or something to that nature. Right, Randy? Yeah. And I think it is. It's that way with a lot of franchises. I do think that, number one. As a patient, I, and I'm not a professional athlete, so it's different for me, I would want to have my doctor be, take a more conservative approach and say rest is going to benefit you. But if I'm a pitcher and I look at the history of pitchers over the course of the last 20 years, I'm probably going to be a little bit more aggressive because ultimately I'm going to wind up having the surgery anyway. And you're right, it does. it's not just the Cardinals, but because that's the team we focus on, we notice it again and again and again. Well, we knew that there was something bothering him in spring training. We knew that that they were he was having non-surgical treatment on this. I just wonder internally how how many conversations about planning for this season included the conversation about we may not have Michaelis. He he may not be a viable option for us. Well, the Cardinals certainly thought, and Mo thought when they shut things down in March that he would be okay. We felt like, you know, rest would be able to to be what he most needed. And as he was coming back in his throwing program, he wasn't feeling that same discomfort. But as he ramped it up over the last couple uh, appearances in Camp 2, he did start to um, um, feel it again and unfortunately just could not proceed. And here's one thing that I think you can do that isn't invasive is every time you have a forearm strain or every time you have a guy with a an elbow irritation or an arm issue, do an MRI. An MRI is no big deal. And find out what's going on in there so that the doctor can see a picture of it. And maybe that's a better preventative measure. I don't know if Miles had the MRI during spring training, but clearly all of us, if we're throwing 50%, you can throw at 50% if you, if you have an arm injury that isn't a tear. And I have to believe, wouldn't you think, that as you're ramping up, you aren't throwing with max effort. You're, th- you're probably throwing if you're playing, if he's playing catch with his wife, he's probably throwing at most 50%. Yep. I would even think that might be a lot yeah. if you're playing catch with, with someone else. But 
this couldn't have been an easy situation for the Cardinals to try to navigate because you're aware of this issue in spring training. Then everything gets shut down. You don't have access to this player. You can't really monitor them from a physical standpoint during a pandemic like you would have normally. You're just mm-hmm. speaking with him. You're doing the non-surgical treatments. You are gauging him on how he feels. And then once he returns to summer camp, that's when they were really able to get a look at this. Summer camp brought to you by Camping World. Oh, thank you, Randy. I'm sorry. You know. It's it's good to hear still that. There, yeah. It's still there. Um, but you, you then get to actually check it out. You notice that the velocity has diminished. You start to see signs. And then once you get the actual medicals back, that's when you say, hey, this, is t- this tear has gotten more severe. This is something we're going to need to shut down. But in, in that space in between, yeah, I can understand how they would say, well, we can't really do that much about it because we are separate from this player because we're in a pandemic. Yeah. So we're just going to have to hope that the the route that he's taking and if he's saying he's feeling good is going to pay dividends when he comes back to summer camp. All right. Brought to you by Camping World. Yes. As is the nature of sports. We've talked about Miles Michaelis for seven minutes. He's out for the year. We'll see him next year. So the Cardinals have brought up Jake Woodford. He'll be in the bullpen Daniel Ponce de Leon will get the start tonight in Minnesota. KK remains in the bullpen. Why is that the case, Smo? You know, right now we're just trying to do the, like the, the, the least amount of movement as we get going into the season. Obviously, um, you're all reading and, and there's, there's lots of uncertainty with what's going on. But just from the simplest standpoint of not having to disrupt everything that we've sort of set up at this point, the easiest move would be to have Ponce make that start. You know, in terms of being wedded to what our rotation looks like over the next week or two weeks, I mean, honestly, we're literally day by day right now. And that's how we're going to approach it. And we'll just see how things play out each day we, we, we take the field. And in what was a surprise to me, that day-by-day look at the starting rotation includes the possibility of the Cardinals bringing in a pitcher from the outside. We are considering outside um, options as well. But, um, you know, it's tricky because once you get this up and going, you have the intake process. It's, it's, it's not something like I can go out and just sign a player today and have them participate. And, and so... We're just trying to understand what some of our internal options are, but also explore a couple external as well. But, you know, obviously um, we have a couple open spots and we just want to uh, try to see what the best way to answer that is. But we do think we need to add some depth down there, yes. And the name that comes to mind is Mike Fultonavich. Started against the Cardinals last year, Michelle, in the NLDS Mm -hmm. twice. uh, An all-star in 2018 has been really effective against the Cardinals. And for some reason, I don't know why, was DFA'd by the Braves a couple of days ago. So he would be a possibility as an outside pitcher to come in. Do you agree with the approach of trying to find an internal option first based on the fact that it is going to require some additional time to bring in someone from the outside? Yes, I agree with it because... That's what has sold me on this edition of the Cardinals, is their Mm -hmm. depth of pitching and specifically the depth of starting pitching. I was a little bit surprised that Gomber didn't get the start, but you could start KK, and they didn't want to move things around and disrupt the pitching staff at all. But 
KK is their closer right now, and that's why he's not in the rotation. But if you have KK and you have Gomber and you have Ponce de Leon and you have Woodford and maybe even Reyes and Helsley, you have a lot of potential starting pitchers. I guess what they're looking at is the back end because you still don't know about Reyes and Henesis Cabrera. And beyond those guys, when you go to Springfield, there's not a lot left. Most of the pitchers are here mm-hmm. now, so I can understand trying to get a guy from the outside, even though it might be a little bit more prohibitive because of the tests, the intake tests and all that. I'm with you. Um, No disrespect to Ponce de Leon because we've seen him be effective for this club, but after what you saw from Gomber in summer camp... Brought to you by Camping World. I kind of just assumed it would be him to get the ball if it wasn't KK. I understand not wanting to disrupt uh, the situation that you have these pitchers in now, and maybe that's something that they're going to look at in the future, stretching Kim out and giving him that position back because he has been in the starting rotation for the entirety of his career up until last week. But I just thought Austin Gomber was so impressive throughout summer camp that I just kind of thought, hey, he's really earned the opportunity for this year, even though you know that Ponce can can be effective for you as well. And perhaps Ponce de Leon goes today and then they switch to Gomber against a team like Milwaukee. I don't even know who they play after Milwaukee. I haven't looked that far ahead. But against a right-handed, predominantly right-handed hitting lineup tonight, with guys like Donaldson and Nelson Cruz as their big guys. Not that the the Twins can't hit a bunch of home runs with their left-handed hitters, but uh, they've got a lot of thunder in there among their right-handers, too. And the Cardinals just might feel more comfortable with Ponce de Leon going tonight. And, hey, really doesn't matter. Minnesota's just going to hit home runs. That's who they are. That's what they do. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it's a Go bummer. Go get him, kid. Yeah. It's a bummer about Miles Michaelis gets the extension before last season. And they, the Cardinals just couldn't keep him healthy. And it happens with pitchers. Most pitchers wind up getting hurt at some point. I hope that this surgery, though, does preclude him from having Tommy John. Because I, I really so. would hate to see him not only have this surgery and then have this rehab, but then for something else to happen, and then he has another one. That would be terrible. That would be so cardinal, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hey. But let's hope it doesn't happen, Randy. We're positive on this show. We are. And we're Sunshine Lollipops, and we know that Tyler O'Neill's going to hit another home run tonight. Yes. And so we appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. How about uh, a uh, Broneal bomb, eh? Uh, oh, nod to his northern heritage. Yes. <laughs> uh, from the 217, a bromer. Ooh, love that. A bromer is great. Yeah. Uh, Tylo Bomb Northern Light Show. That seems like too much to type. I'm lazy. How about a brotator? <laughs> a brotator. A brotato. Yeah. That'd be good. I kind of like that. But that might. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two leaders in the clubhouse right now. Bro Neil Bomb. Ty Bomb. Bro Baby. Uh, T-O-K-O. T-O-K-O. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, broke it. <laughs> I think Bromer, to me, is the winner. That's pretty good. From the 618, we could just call it a flex. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It is a flex. He does. Do I know. It. Last night I was trying to think. I don't really know a lot of weightlifting you know, jargon, Randy, but I was trying to think last night if there was something to tie those two together. So if, if you have the answer there, text us 65780, because I did not know. Coming up, Blues Hockey this afternoon with the pregame here on 101 ESPN. And we'll have the action for you at 530 from Edmonton. Blues and Blackhawks in a preseason game. Are the Blues at a, an advantage or a disadvantage having a round-robin three-game series heading into the playoffs? That's next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN Blues Hockey this afternoon, 4.30 with the pregame as they have an exhibition game against the Chicago Blackhawks. And I'm intrigued, Michelle, by this game, but more so over what's going to happen over the course of the weekend. I do like the idea that the Blues, who know their game, are going to be able to for lack of a better word, ease into the game that they like and that they play. I think it's a huge advantage for the Blues because they are going to be able to get their sea legs back and find their game without consequence, really. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. Yes, you know, as we continue forward, seeding's going to be on the line, but I really don't know if that necessarily matters that much to this team. The, thing, the most important thing is that they find their game and they get back yeah. to playing their style of hockey because then it doesn't really matter who the opponent is, in my opinion. And they will face a team, hopefully, that has played some playoff intensity hockey in a best of three and gets beat up a little bit in that best of three. And the Blues are fresh going in. Meanwhile, as the Blues do head into this game against Chicago, as we've mentioned before, Brent Seabrook is probably not going to play for Chicago. And it would be nice to get some get back on Brent Seabrook. It would be fun to, well, let me put it this way, Michelle. I think when Brent Seabrook leaves this earth. And if it happens before, or I'll leave before he will. I'm a lot older than he is. So let's put it that way. But I do want it well known that Brent Seabrook uh, affected my life in a negative manner. And uh, I'd love to see the guy get knocked out. It's uh, wakey, wakey, Seabrook. Um, I don't have a long Michael Jordan type list uh-huh. of people that I would like retribution on, but he's on it, Randy. Yeah, he's got to be on it. If you're a St. Louis Blues fan, he's and, and I'll tell you what, Michelle. Wakey, wakey. Yeah, if you are. We don't forget. We do not. If, we have if, not forgotten. If you are a fan of 31 NFL teams, doesn't Tom Brady kind of have to be on your list? Yeah. The only the only one that you, is not, well, maybe 30 because now Tampa, but New England, you, you probably... For example, you wouldn't put in your obituary if you're a Patriots fan. Anything about, well, maybe you'd thank Tom Brady. But every other of the other 30 teams, if people are fans, they're going to put in their obituary that they didn't like that guy, right? Yes. And it's funny you should mention that, Randy, because I have a great story for you. Can you imagine how many people in Buffalo hate Tom Brady? Oh, man. Everyone, right? 20 years of misery he's put them through. Just pure torture. I mean, if you're in Miami, you hate Tom Brady. If you're in mm-hmm. Buffalo, you hate Tom Brady. I think if you're in New York, you just kind of hate the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you hate yourself for being a Jets fan. <laughs> but anyway, Randy, this is a great story. This woman, Carol Scarcella of Lackawanna, which is in the Buffalo region, she passed away recently. And she seemed like she was quite the firecracker. So I want to read you her obituary, Randy, okay? okay? Carol Scarcella. Scarcella. I'm Italian. This should be easy for me to get out. (laughs) Carol Scarcella of Lackawanna, New York, entered into rest on July 19th, 2020. Beloved mother of Norma and Remo, cherished grandmother of Christopher Maxwell, Agatha R.J. Chad, predeceased by her parents, survived by her brother and sister-in-law, as well as many nieces and nephews. Five things about Carol Randy. Number one, she loved to read. Her favorite author was Stephen King. She had a private library of hundreds of books. 
Love a well-read person. Mm -hmm. Number two, she loved to smoke. She smoked millions of cigarettes. Hey, respect. (laughs) Millions. You you do you. You smoked millions (laughs) of cigarettes. Respect. Number three, she loved slot machines and Facebook games. She never won millions, but she had the biggest farm and all of Farmville and made it to the millionth level on Candy Crush. Number four, she was an avid sports fan. She loved the New York Yankees and LeBron James. She, in all caps, hated Tom Brady. <laughs> this, this is in her obituary. This is in her obituary. And five things that you must know about Carol. Yeah. And finally, number five, when her children were growing up, she was involved with their school PTA, coached their sports teams, and volunteered through Lackawanna Little Leagues. She was a mother, father, coach, mentor, and friend. Private funeral services were held with Carol's immediate family. I'm very proud of her family and proud of her for getting that out there. I think that's, if you're going to know somebody, something that you need to know, right? Yes. If they're, now, of course, this made me think of you, someone who loathes Tom Brady and mm-hmm. Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And while we do have our list, our Michael Jordan list of retribution, and I know Tom Brady's on that for you, is that hatred, Randy, so pronounced that as you leave this earth, you say to your family, you make sure in my obituary it is known that I hate Tom Brady? I don't think Brady makes that word limit. I think Enos does. And what would you say? Uh, I, I want to be very creative, but it's got to be fun. It's got to be something like that, that. How about this? Can I pitch something yeah, to you? Sure. Randy Carriker went to his grave still laughing at all the money Stan Kroenke lost on that ugly stadium. Yeah, that'd be that'd be good. That'd be a part of it. But I got I need to have something about my disdain for the guy in the obit. So I'll come up with something creative and yeah, okay. well-read and pithy. I d- did enjoy the Cleveland Browns fans, and until last year there were a lot of Blues fans that put in their obituary that they had requested that the team provide six pallbearers so that they could let him down one more time. <laughs> Which is so shady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what other athletes? Let's check the text line. There's got to be other athletes out there that have earned the level of disdain so that people would put them in their obits or the sort of love, you know, a, a, a huge, on the other, on the flip side, people in Boston, a huge Tom Brady fan. Who would you put in there? Who's you, who's going to be a Michelle's obit, either negatively or positively? Ooh, okay. Well, positively, I I don't know if this is a plus or a minus, but I think at least two full calendar years were shaved off my life during the Blue Stanley Cup run last uh-huh. year, and I'm good with it. So maybe something like she went to meet her maker two years early, but it was okay because we got the Stanley Cup here in St. Louis. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Or, you know, she she went to her grave still upset that Mike Matheny continued to pitch to Big Poppy in the 2013 <laughs> World Series. Still not over that. Or maybe just something like North Carolina academic fraud. Just, you know, oh, yeah. just things that I have on my list that bother me. Like, let's not like, yes, R.I.P. Michelle, but let's also not forget that North Carolina enabled academic fraud and didn't get punished for it. See, I think the old hashtag, thanks, Matheny, <laughs> because uh, you could do something like this obituary would have been written five years later had Matheny not pitched Waka against San Francisco. <laughs> yes. You know, hashtag thanks, Matheny. Travis Ishikawa. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> like, oh, man. So good for that lady, though. The uh, Scarcella, right? 
Scarcella. Yeah, I finally got it right, Scarcella. But I just, I, I think that Carol seemed like a simple person, man. She loved to play Farmville. She loved to read, smoke her cigs, and hate on Tom Brady. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Why not? Great thing. From the 314, the Houston Astros. Cole hated those cheaters. Cole is the person that died. Uh, number From the 314, Carlos Beltran used to be on that list until he got here. And now I love the guy. Yeah, Beltran. Tony had the great line about him in 2000. I guess it was from the 2004 playoffs. He said it in the 2006 video that uh, he had 11 home runs and 10 at-bats against us. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that not like, oh, here's one, Niger Morgan. Remember how oh. much we hated Niger Morgan? Remember he called Albert Pujols Alberta? Yeah. That big mistake. Yeah. Huge. Thanks, Kyle. And uh, sticking with the Bills, this from the 618, Scott Norwood. I would think that there are Bills fans that put Scott Norwood into their obituary, and not in very flattering terms. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else in, in that we can think of in St. Louis. Obviously, Stan Kroenke's on the list. Yeah, number one. And number one, but by a huge margin, he's far and away number one. What about with the Blues? A Keenan. Lot of, I was going to say a lot of people hate Mike Keenan. He's on the list, I'm sure. But do you think a lot of those wounds, Randy, have healed because the Blues have won? Like, I don't know if you would go to your grave wanting to rip Keenan because having those obstacles in the road made the victory all, like, it made it that much sweeter. The pain that we had endured as Blues fans, don't you think? But if Shanahan was your guy or if Curtis Joseph was your guy or ultimately Hully, Hully believes that uh, Keenan was, even though Keenan was gone by the time Hull left, Hull believes that Keenan really greased the skids for him leaving. If you were a fan of one of those guys, I can see how you would have that sort of hatred for Mike Keenan. And as a species, I think we like to be outraged. We like to have somebody to hate. So I I don't think that that hate goes away. How about Roger Goodell, Randy? Had the Spygate tapes burned, allowed the the orchestration of Kroenke and Jerry Jones to rip the Rams out of St. Louis despite making us put on this massive charade and doing everything asked of us to save the team. He was the one that was allowing those two things to happen. I was 11. I was 11 years old, Michelle, when I became a uh, real football fan. The 1974 football Cardinals started off 7-0. So I'm 11 years old, all right? So from that time, from the time I'm 11... 21, 31, 41, 51, 56, 45 years. Mm-hmm. Every single fall morning was spent in anticipation of watching an NFL kickoff and spending my day uh, with uh, with the NFL. 45 years of doing that. And what you just said, Roger Goodell allowing that ruined my NFL experience. It, cha- it literally changed my life because I don't care about I, – I don't know that I've seen – a kickoff for an NFL regular season game since the Rams left. And even when the Cardinals left, I didn't hate him. I, no. I understood that he had to, that Bidwell had to move the team, that it was a business decision. But what Goodell did caused me to hate him. And that's 45 years of my life that he's, he put in the, uh, a real emotional attachment that he put in the rearview mirror. So, yeah, I think Roger Goodell could easily make my obit. <laughs> After you said that, he better make it, Randy. <laughs> You're right, though. I do I do miss that on a Sunday, waking up and being excited for game day. And now, listen, in all fairness and transparency, I hadn't been excited about a Rams game day in many years. Mm-hmm. But I remember the feeling of being excited. And 
it, it's it, just different. It's very different. Weekends are different. Yeah. After Saturday, I just kind of check out. I watch things because we have to for work, mm-hmm. or else I would be out, 100% yeah. out of the NFL, and other for, than the Super Bowl, really. For me, even though the Rams were miserable, it was – we had a team, and it was because – for us, it's St. Louis. We root for St. Louis. Yeah. But even if it wasn't our team, I could say, "Oh, you've got uh, you got Broncos Cowboys at three o'clock," and you could be looking forward to that. You could say, "Oh man, that Sunday night game that that's going to be great. I'm going to be tuned into that one." Now, nothing in the league enthralls me on a Sunday morning and says, "I have to watch that." You know, the only thing that I really care about watching truly is Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. He's so exciting and yeah. so fun to watch, and I just root for him so much that I, I enjoy watching the Chiefs play because of him. So are you going to root for the Royals now? No. Because he's an owner now? Yeah. No, I will not be rooting for the Royals, Randy. Sorry. I wonder how he's going to feel right in that check. <laughs> <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 because we've got Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We want your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. One other quick obituary for you. This is from February of 2015, Michelle. Uh, Michael Vedvik, Sven, went to see our Lord Jesus on February 2nd, 2015 at his home in Kent, Washington. Born on December 26, 1961 in Spokane, Washington, Michael is survived by his wife, Stephanie, and daughters and stepdaughters. Uh, he attended Rogers High and Spokane Falls Community College. He was a small business owner in Kent, Washington, and loved his family, work, clients, traveling, the Seahawks, and life. We blame the Seahawks' lousy play call for Mike's <laughs> untimely demise. Mike was greatly loved and will be missed. Should have given it to Marshawn. <laughs> you killed the man. <laughs> oh, man, and Pete Carroll's uh, picture right next to it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, not great. That is a whole nother level That's of shady. trolling, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you put his photo, you put the man's photo in the obituary? Who made the, who made the play call? <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, Tioli, Scotty, what do you got for us? All right, guys, in the 636, take it or leave it. You'll have something about Stan Kroenke in your obituary. Yeah, I'll take that. I'm going to leave it. Because I don't want to give him any shine oh, in, in that space. It could be evil. I want to do something e- evil and funny. Yeah. But it's more on brand for you, Randy. Yeah, it is. Right. I mean, you were, you were the voice of that space and time for so many Rams fans after you spoke at that. What was it? A town hall? Yeah. That they had a bogus dog and pony show NFL town hall. Yeah. A faux circus that yeah. they put on. Um, but you expressed to the mic what so many St. Louisans were feeling about their team and about the situation and about the fact that they had been drug along. Mm-hmm. And honestly, St. Louis was just debris in this bomb that they oh, were Oh, yeah, we were collateral damage. Collateral no damage, 100%. And so for you to have that in your obituary, I think a lot of people would say, respect, Randy. <laughs> respect. I, I, and I hope this doesn't happen for a while, by the way. That we have to rate this a bit. Yeah, not either. <laughs> For sure. From the 314, take it or leave it. Harrison Bader will be your opening day starting center fielder in 2021. I'm going to leave that, Michelle. I'm going to leave it, too. I think Thomas actually has a better chance. I do, too. And I'm intrigued by, first of all, that was a really nice swing that Fowler had on his hit last night. I don't 
know if they, I guess they bring Fowler to spring training next year. But Dylan Carlson has to be in your 2021 lineup, whether it's two weeks into the season. And maybe uh, Carlson is a center fielder. The thing with Bader is I know that they really wanted him to work out with this team. I mean, they could have moved him last year. They didn't. He was the centerpiece of their marketing campaign heading into last year. He was. They they really have a lot invested in him, not necessarily financially, but they really, in their future plans, had circled his name as somebody that they were believing in. So that's why when I say that, I say it based on what we're seeing right now in a small 2020 sample size and based on what we know is on the runway for the future. Mm -hmm. But I also have to keep in mind that this is a player that they have a lot of high hopes for still. Yeah, they do. And you hate to rely on hope for a 60-game season. Correct. Good call. (laughs) That's the issue. From the 636, take it or leave it. Alex Reyes will make at least two starts this year. Leave it. Two starts? Yeah. Leave it. Yeah, no, he'll be working out of the bullpen. I think he'll pitch in two games. Me too. But uh, I think he might even get into 10 games. But no, I don't think that he'll start a game. But if you make that 2021, I believe he will start a game in 2021. I would love to see him start two games just because I would love to see it work out that way. But I think the fact that we haven't seen him yet, that they're going to use him in a in a different role. But I would I I can't wait for the day that we see Alex Reyes go out there and put together a dominant start for the Cardinals. By the way, Reyes and Cabrera in Springfield today both scheduled to throw live BPs. All right, guys, the Blues have an exhibition game tonight against the Blackhawks. Take it or leave it from the 6-1-8. Tarasenko scores twice tonight. I'm going to leave that. I think he's going to... He'll probably get one against the Blackhawks, but I don't think he'll score twice. I don't think he's going to score twice either, but I think we are going to get glimpses of peak Vladdy. Mm -hmm. whether Whether it's now or in the first week... Of hockey games that we see, we're going to see something out of Vladdy that makes us be like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. He is back. He likes playing against Colorado, although he got hurt against Colorado, too. That wasn't that great, but he he likes playing against them. But maybe that's when he turns it on because he's like, hey, I am back. From the 314, guys, take it or leave it. You really missed Joe Kelly last night. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. Oh, yeah. We always miss Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly is the man. He continues to be the man. Um... Yes, I I missed him last night, but I was glad he was pitching for L.A. last night because I loved what he did to the Astros. Um, But he's such a character. We we know here in St. Louis, he's such a fun guy. He's he's a guy that you always want to have a camera on. Like, I want a specific, especially now when entertainment is king because we don't have fans in the stands. We don't have anything else distracting us. Give us a Joe Kelly cam. And it's a great move on his part. Because he was with the Red Sox team that cheated to beat the Dodgers in the World Series. So he can kind of atone for that a little bit by by plunking Carlos Correa. It was yeah, it's a very smart move by him. Yeah. All right, guys, from the six three six, take it or leave it. Baseball without steroids is a young man's game now. Don't pay anyone over twenty seven years old. Um I'm I'm gonna take it, but I'm gonna leave the twenty seven. 29 seems to be the magic number. And so would you give somebody 29 a long-term contract? No. What you do is you set it up so that for a position player, the latest you're paying them is 30 or 31. Brandy, reminder, Nolan Arenado, 29 years old. I know, but he's special. (laughs) He's an exception. Yeah. (laughs) Exception. There's always an exception to the rule. Yeah.
From the 314, take it or leave it. We would have celebrated just as hard if the Blues' first cup win was this year. Oh, leave it. I'm going to leave it. No, we couldn't have had the parade. Uh, uh, honestly, the parade was the biggest and best party I've ever been to in my life. And yes, we would have been overjoyed and so excited if the Blues won this year for the game because, I mean, we've waited, we would have waited long enough. And to think that they would have lost last year in a game seven situation and then captured it this year it would have been great but there is power in gathering and look at what happened in St. Louis last year whether it was at Enterprise Center for the watch parties that were sold out or at Bush Stadium or at the parade it wouldn't have felt as amazing if we didn't get to do it together as St. Louisans and we can't do that this year obviously very well said thank you Scott you got it Scott Manziara and that is Teoli on 101 ESPN coming up our fresh take should we be concerned about the depth of the Cardinal pitching at the moment and more names for Tyler O'Neill home runs and if you have somebody that you would put to put on blast in your obituary we want to hear that as well on 101 ESPN we're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN <laughs> There have been multiple hockey players. Uh, Kenny Linsman is the one that comes to mind that have been nicknamed Little Ball of Hate. And uh, I'm a big ball of hate today. Michelle has uh, brought out the worst in me this morning, which is great. My bad. It's, it's okay. No, it's fun. So we're talking about obituaries and who we would list in our obituary uh, that we don't like from a sports standpoint. And obviously, Enos Stanley Kroenke is number one for me. And I wonder if he goes before I do, if, um, like, and his, one of his former teams would win, like the Rams would win after he leaves this earth. I wonder if his obituary says that he's looking up approvingly at his Rams. I, I don't think his obituary would say that, but maybe an L.A. Times obituary about him may say that. But I don't know if his family would include that. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, text 65780. I'd say I'm dancing in heaven with Stan Musial while Stan Kroenke is dancing with the devil. Hmm. So, yeah, he probably is. So let's get a couple of things. Number one. Michelle, yes. with uh, the loss of Miles Michaelis for the season, with the fact that the car, by the way, they activated uh, Giovanni Gallegos and he pitched last night, looked really good, but they don't have a couple of guys still. They don't have Reyes, they don't have Cabrera, and hopefully they'll be back within the next week. You don't have Hicks and you don't have Brebia, though. So, three guys that you would, if you had had a 13 man staff for 162 games, 12 man staff. There's no doubt that Hicks, Brebia, and Michaelis are three. That's 25% of the group that you'd yeah. like to have. So, does that cause concern for you about the depth of the Cardinals pitching? A little bit. I still, like John Mosaic mentioned yesterday, like their internal options. I think that going internally first, whether it's with Ponce de Leon, like they have done, or Gomber, or moving KK out of the closer's role back into the rotation, I think you have other options. But with making that shift, you know that there's uh, the depth is getting a little bit thinner in another position. So, yeah, I'm a little concerned, but not overly concerned. We got so spoiled by the greatness of Dave Duncan. And Mike Maddox is a great, not just a good, he's a great pitching coach. But nobody was able to revive careers of pitchers like Dunk. So if the Cardinals are bringing in... It, a guy like Mike Fultonavich, who was DFA'd by the Braves, 
Well, I like it, and I hope. I had a. I was convinced that Dave Duncan was going to be able to fix that guy when they brought in uh, Jeff Weaver in 06. Oh, here's a guy with good stuff. Duncan's going to fix him. I hope that Mike Maddox can fix him. It's different. I, it's knowledge versus hope in the, those situations. And I would like the Cardinals to bring in a guy like that because I've seen him be good. I just don't know if he's going to still be able to rebound here. Well, and the way I look at it is, okay, let's say realistically they see what they have in Ponce and they decide to make this move if they were to bring in an outside force here, maybe end of the week, early next week, right, Randy? Potentially. Yeah. Then you're already in August, okay? If you're bringing in someone from the outside, they have to do the exams. They're, they have additional time that they have to do. How much time are you actually getting out of this person? Right. When you're in the sprint format, you don't have time to figure it out or fix a pitcher. You need somebody who's going to come in. If you're bringing in someone from the outside and make an immediate impact. I thought it was interesting. And Mo essentially said that yesterday. He said, we're literally working on a day-by-day basis yeah. here. And they might wind up having a different team every day. But you're right. Can you afford to... Try to fix a guy in no. this environment. You don't have time for a reclamation project. No. You really don't. And with the Cardinals, they're looking at their options internally, and they know what these guys can give them. They know how to move around the pieces of the puzzle if need be. I know the idea of going outside and getting a little bit more security and adding to that depth is enticing. But I think in reality, if you look at the schedule and you look at the amount of time needed to potentially bring a guy like Fulte back, I don't know if it's worth it for the Cardinals to go out there and make that move no that would that's a long-term move Mm -hmm. it's not a move that you should make trying to fix a guy for 2020 couldn't agree with you more there and if michaelis is coming back by spring training then you have to consider that into factor that into your plan because you know with his contract he's going to be there but hey take our advice don't count on michaelis next year uh we also want to know the name of a uh home run by Tyler O'Neill and Michelle she called for this so she gets to pick okay what do you got all right let me scroll through here okay so Bromer seems to be the leader in the clubhouse because we know Tyler O'Neill very fit guy loves to get gains in he uh I'm sure is eating a lot of protein but we know Mm -hmm. there's power there so uh we call him Bro Neal a Bromer I think is appropriate Brome run Brome run very fun to say um T-O-K-O is something that I think would be fun to tweet out. Oh, there's another T-O-K-O. That would be good. A, br- a brocket, Randy? Like bro <laughs> and a rocket? A brocket? Eh, not as good. No, I, I wish we could make it work so that it... Because it's bro. I know. I think you got to have that bro pronunciation. You can't say there. broke it. No. Because then it sounds like broken. Yeah. Okay, what about this? We can just call it a flex. I think that might be the most simple, pithy way to go about this. Because everybody will know, and who else can say that? Who else has the ability to flex in Major League Baseball like Broneal? So would you say another flex by Tyler O'Neill, or would you just tweet out flex? I think we need to get to the point where everybody knows. So if you just, if, if you're coming out, okay, we're, we're moving beyond the pandemic, we're going to movies again. You're coming out of a movie and mm-hmm. you turn on the phone and somebody's tweeted flex. We need to get it so that you know what that means. Or just the flex emoji. Yeah. There is a flex emoji. Yep. Great call. But I want something that becomes such a part of our daily conversations that Danny Mac wants to weave it into his call. Yeah, definitely. 
And we can do that, yeah. So you think, so do you like Bromer or do you like Flex? Should we put it up to a vote? Yes. Should we do Twitter it on our, on our Twitter machine? Okay, yeah. great. Are those your, do we have anything else we want to work in there? Or are those? I, th- I think we can go with those two. I know that there were a lot of people that wanted to instill some Canadian flavor here because he's from Canada, but I don't think we need to do that. Brotato? Bro, no. Okay. So it's either going to be a Flex or a Bromer. Yeah. I will put up the poll the as we speak. Okay. I'm having trouble here, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to give you my U.S. during the break for my uh, sports hate power rankings. Yeah, Randy, you're such a nice and affable guy. You're always in a good mood. And I was very surprised that your sports hate list is as long as it is. So I asked oh, you to power Lord. rank them because if we, like our friend from Buffalo, are going to put in our obituary, our sports hates... Okay. I need to know who's going to be there for you. Okay. If we're going to be like Carol Scarcella, Randy, we need to know. Kroenke is number one. Far and away? Every, everybody knows, yeah. Uh, my number two is, uh, and this is unfair to the guy, but he did it, so he deserves it. Judge Edward Houston was the judge in the arbitration that awarded Scott Stevens to the Devils back in 1992. After the 90-91 season Actually 91, summer of 91 And If you look at what the Blues did Number one, they had the best record In the league for most of Scott Stevens' year here If you look at what Scott Stevens Did and what the Blues were Judge Edward Houston probably Caused us to not win a Stanley Cup 25 years It would have been 25 years earlier that the Blues would have won a Stanley Cup in multiples with Scott Stevens. So Edward Houston is number two. Got to put Kevin Deboff as number three because he sat in your chair uh, with full knowledge that he was working to move the team to L.A. And when I asked him, where do you think the Rams will be? I I even gave him a couple of year window. I said, where do you think the Rams will be playing in 2017? And he said, here. So he also came on our show. And uh, he's after I had gotten pretty good word as it turns out it was impeccable word that the Rams have made the decision to depart St. Louis and mentioned it on the air this is in 2015 I, I mentioned it September he comes on a week later invites himself on and he says yeah don't trust what you're hearing about any decision that we've made to move so what he's doing doing is coming on our show and saying yeah don't trust the guy that you listen to every day because it's just a rumor. It wasn't a rumor. It was true. So that that I have greater personal disdain for him. But so, I'm going to put him number three on my list. I'm surprised he's not number two. I know you're upset about what happened with Stevens, but the Blues eventually got their glory. They did, but the guy cost me championships. And that's why Belichick is number four. The guy <laughs> cost me a championship. But think about Kevin Demoff quickly, Randy. There's... To me, he's almost worse than Kroenke because while Kroenke is the evil guy, this is the guy that's doing his bidding. You're not even the one that's, cashing the big checks. You're just the weaselly guy that's lying to everyone and has sold your soul that, for a lesser salary. He did, yes, but he was just doing his job. But now, he didn't need that it, job. Well, I think he kind of did. I mean, he comes. He's not. He comes from a pretty affluent family, Randy. I'm sure he could have found a different job within football. You've heard how he got the job, right? Remind everyone. But yes, I have heard it. Well, this is an allegation, of course. Allegedly. Yeah. That uh, 
let me just put it this way, that there were some debts incurred by a member of the Rams organization. Okay. And Kevin's dad, Marvin Demoff, worked a deal to alleviate some of these debts if Kevin would get the gig. Okay. So if you have that sort of power in the family mm-hmm. that can get you a gig because of a bad round of gambling, you don't think if you have one morsel of integrity that you could then go to your pops and say, hey, dad, what's going on here is bad. They're lying to the public. I do not. I can't sleep at night because I don't want to be a part of this. Can you call up one of your buddies and get me a job somewhere else? I'm sure somebody else has gambled in the league. Yeah, you'd hope so. But I can just give you uh, three sentences. Two and 14, one and 15, two and 14. How do you sell that to another fan base? Well, <laughs> you say that he is. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't publicly say he's orchestrating a move. They're taking yeah. on purpose. Yeah. So, and then Seabrook <laughs> is number five. So, Cronky, Edward Houston, Demoff, Belichick, Seabrook. Those are my five. No deck intro, huh? No, because I think that was an honest mistake. He, he knew about it the day after. He's apologized for it. And I. I I get why people are upset with him, but it, there was no malice intended. I think with all the others, Kroenke, Houston, Demoff, Belichick, Seabrook, there was malice intended against me. You personally? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not about it. <laughs> uh, that is today's Fresh Take. Next up, Bernie Federko, Blues Broadcaster Hall of Famer on this day that the Blues will start their preseason. Bernie is next with the Blues Booth on 101 ESPN. Summer is in full action, and we're thankful for our sponsor today, Manscaped, for keeping dudes out there fresh. Manscaped offers all the right tools to keep your hair groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up that full-body grooming game, and they actually just released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 or Perfect Package. Now, the Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit. I know you're probably wearing flip-flops during the summer. Hot tip from a female. People don't want to see your nasty, unclipped toenails, okay? No one likes an ungroomed man. Women, we talk about these things. Don't be that guy. That's why Manscaped has forever changed their grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. It's the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a cleanup. And this third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce those manscaping accidents. Yikes. For a limited time, subscribers out there can get two free gifts. You can get the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS, S-M-A-L-L-S, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code SMALLS. Summer is here. It's time to manscape. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Starting hockey in late July, but that's what we're doing. The Blues and the Blackhawks this afternoon, 4.30 with the pregame, 5.30 with the faceoff here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. And Blues analyst on Fox Sports Midwest, Hall of Famer Bernie Federko joins us now in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN with Randy and Michelle. Bernie, it's great to have you with us. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to have hockey back, as you said. It's uh, hard to believe it. It's... Uh been a strange, strange year, and it's, it's good to see that hockey is actually watching last night. It was kind of fun to see some hockey again. And it'll be interesting to see how quickly the players can ramp up to the intensity level that they need. I, I wonder if they're they're going to be able to get there quickly, Bernie. Well, you know, Randy, watching last night, though, I mean, I watched uh, a couple of games. I watched part of the Calgary-Edmonton game. I watched part of the Philly and Pittsburgh game, and uh, the guys were going pretty good. I mean, I, I was very impressed with the pace of the game, 
Uh, it was very physical. At least the Edmonton Calgary game was very physical as well. So uh, I, I don't think the guys are going to really miss a beat. I mean, uh, they're excited about playing. I, it's going to be, I think, more of a question mark. Can they can, can they continue to do it every night on on a, on a you know on the same basis? Because I think they might get fatigued after a little bit. But I think by the time they get to the playoff round, which is you know for everybody another week or so, uh, I think they're going to be really everybody's going to go going in a hundred percent. Bernie, what are you going to look for in this exhibition game tonight versus the Blues and the Blackhawks? What are some things that you want to see out of this team? Uh, just to, again, to, to probably Michelle, just to the um, um, timing coming back. Uh, you know, they've been practicing for a couple of weeks. I mean, they had some scrimmages and this and that, but it's a little different when you start playing against your, your competition, somebody that you really don't like. Uh, it gets a little different. I mean, I think the uh, effort from the other team against you is always a little more. So I think you have to really ramp up your, uh, I guess, your attitude a little more to to make sure that you're, uh, you know, up to speed with everything. And I think that's what mostly I'm looking for for this. I mean, it's more of a timing issue. I'd like to see how the power play moves the puck around. It's going to be nice to see uh, Vladdy Tarasenko out there again. Uh, so this is a team now that is really, it's almost a team that we would expect at the beginning of the year last year. Uh, they're all healthy. They're all ready to go, and I just want to see, you know, how they come together as quickly as possible. It'll be interesting, also, Bernie, to see what the best of three play-in series, what effect that has, positive or negative, on those teams that are playing just to stay alive and get into the the second round. Well, there's there's an awful lot of pressure on those teams right off the bat, and and, and really when you when you really consider, it, I mean, there's there's teams that got lucky, and there's teams that shouldn't be there. I mean, there's only supposed to be. You know, eight teams in each conference that are supposed to be there right now. Instead, there's 12 in each one. So there's really a uh, an extra incentive for those four teams that really maybe aren't supposed to be there that were supposed to battle to get there uh, during the regular season. So I mean, they're getting a, a a second chance. So I mean, I think those teams are going to be probably really excited about getting the opportunity to move along in the playoffs. And I think right now, Randy, that everybody feels probably that hey, we have a chance. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times when you come into the playoffs, even when there's 16 teams. Uh, some of the teams say, "Well, you know what? We're we're here in the playoffs." But uh, realistically, when you we look around and we look at the other rosters, we probably don't really have that much of a chance. But I think right now everybody's not thinking that way. Everybody, because of the the shutdown for the last four months, I think that everybody probably likes their chances, and if they get the right save at the right time, you got a best of five series right now going on. I mean, you could really, if you're the underdog, you could still win. So I think this is going to be really exciting. Uh, you know, watching the games last night, I, I thought that it was uh, they did a really good job, uh, you know, uh, with the with the commentary and everything about what was going on. So I expect this to be really a heck of a tournament. When you look at the teams that the Blues are going to be within the round robin, Bernie, the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, and the Stars, which team scares you the most out of that group? Well, the Avalanche are a really good team. I mean, they, I mean, at one point, I mean, the, the Blues when the season did come to a, to a halt. So, I mean, their team that's got, I mean, Nathan McKinnon, I think, is probably the best player in the league, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, he's just so dynamic. And uh, I think if their goaltending holds up, I think that's going to be an issue because they are a real good hockey club. They're very balanced, and, and, and they've got some real good defensemen. They move the puck very well. So, uh, you know, they're a, a team to look at. But, I mean, I like Vegas. I mean, Vegas has been there before. I mean, let's not forget they were in the Stanley Cup final a couple, couple of years ago. Uh, they've got some... Uh, you know, we've got good goaltending error um, team that that really I think believes that they can go all the way. And then when you look at Dallas, Dallas, uh, you know, played very well against the Blues. I mean, took seven games into double overtime last year for uh, the Blues to beat Dallas. So I think they're probably thinking their chances are good. So really, I, 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 
there's no pushover here. Once you get to this, I mean, and I'm kind of disappointed because the way the Blues were ahead of everybody in the standings, I mean, I don't like this idea that, you know, in a, in a three, three game uh, round robin that uh, I really believe that they should have no, uh, they should be no worse than second, no matter what they do in this round robin, but they could end up in a, in, in a fourth position uh, if they don't play well through these uh, three games. And, uh, I don't care really where, where they're seated, but uh, it's nice to be seated at the top, and uh, this is going to be really interesting. Hey, Bernie, I, I find it really interesting that uh, the uh, the Knights announced that they're going to name their goalie. I figured Fleury would be the guy, but they say that they're going to name a, a goalie among Fleury or Leonard after the round robin for their, their playoff run. But I'm assuming that Fleury's going to win it. So, uh, Leaving Bennington aside, we all can agree that he's going to be the best goalie in the West. Among the teams in the top four, with Grubauer in Colorado, Fleury in Vegas, and Ben Bishop, which of those three could best carry a team through to a Stanley Cup championship? Well, I think they're all capable of doing that. I mean, I think Leonard is very capable of doing that, Randy, and I'm not so sure that Fleury's going to get the call. He mm-hmm. might get the call off the start, but, I mean, you know, when they brought in Leonard, I mean, that was reason they brought him in. You know, Fleury was not having a great year. Uh, yeah, he's been there before, but I think Leonard has proved, too, that he's, he's a heck of a goaltender. So, I mean, we all know Ben Bishop has been, uh, you know, one of the top goalies in the league every year. Is, you know, he's, he's got the, one of the best stats, and, and, and he's plays very well. Grubauer, uh, you know, had some great experience, but, you know, we, when he was with the, uh, Washington, when they were making their run, although he, he didn't play an awful lot in, in, in those series, but I think all those goaltenders are, are very capable, and I think that there's a reason that the the top four seeds right now in, in the West are, are all where they are. And the goaltending had a big, big factor in it. So, uh, Bennington, you know what, has played very well this year. And, and we all talk about the fact that, that Jake Allen, uh, yeah, was just a backup last year. But, I mean, certainly he played very well during the regular season. Has had some, some great games uh, uh, right now. So, I mean, if something happened to Bennington, I think that Jake is still uh, capable of, of, of going all the way through it. So I, I really believe that the goaltending is going to be really good at the top four. And, uh, it's going to be who maybe gets the right bounce at the right time. Bernie Federico, great to hear your voice. Great to have hockey back, and we will be tuned in. Thank you very much. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. You too. See you later. That is the great Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, with us on 101 ESPN. Uh, boy, it's going to be interesting. And by the way, I think the series to watch for Blues fans in this first round is going to be Nashville and Arizona mm-hmm. because I think both of those teams are capable with their goaltending and with what they have up front. And both have, by the way, really good defensemen too. I would think that those are the two teams that are in the bottom eight that have the best chance. I think I like them both better than Edmonton and Chicago. I like them both better than Vancouver and Minnesota. And I like them both better than Calgary and Winnipeg. So I think that's the series to watch if uh, you're looking for a team that can come out of the West that isn't one of the four qualifiers. You've been talking a lot about Arizona. Arizona's kind of scary. Darcy mm-hmm. Kemper, they were in first place in their division when he got hurt at Christmas time. He was playing great. And then he gets hurt and then they... They went downhill, but they had traded for Hall. They have Phil Kessel. Uh, they have Keller, the the young St. Louis, and uh, Jordan Schmal, uh, Schmaltz is leading them in scoring. Not Jordan, his brother, uh, but uh, Nick Schmaltz, the former Blackhawk, is leading them in scoring. A lot of good things going. At least they did when they were before the lock lockdown in Arizona. And by the way, their coach they did nothing against the Blues for years. They went something like one and fourteen against the Blues, and since Dave Tippett took over, they've gone I think three, four, and one against the. Blues. So mm. they're a better team. Now, 
They also lost their general manager over the weekend, and that might cause some internal strife there. But I think they've got a lot of good players. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, it's The Fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to Carricker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN 834. It's time for the fight. Let's bring in our challenger today. Nick is with us. Good morning, Nick. How are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling good. I know how Randy is, though, on his sports trivia, though, so I'm going to give it my best. Okay, you started out strong there, saying I'm feeling good, and then I could hear you second-guess yourself. So let's turn that around. Let's just say I am feeling good, and I'm going to beat Randy. I'm feeling great, and I'm going to eliminate Randy. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Nick, you are ready to go. All right, question number one. What team had the most players hit 30 or more home runs in a single season in Major League Baseball history? Is it the Twins, the Red Sox, or the Yankees? The Twins. All right, question number two for you, Nick. What year did the Cardinals have the most wins in franchise history? Was it back in 1942, 1944, or 2004? Oh, I'm going to say 2004. Okay, Nick, the Blues take on the Blackhawks tonight in an exhibition game. Can't wait for Blues hockey. Among active players, who has played the most games in a Blackhawks uniform? Is it Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, or Jonathan Taves? I'm going to go with Patrick Kane. And your final question, Nick, who was the last Blues captain to record a 30-plus goal season? Was it David Backus, Brett Hull, or Dallas Drake? Brett Holt. All right, checking score here. And Randy is coming in. Nick, after you switched your mentality, do you think it helped you in the fight? <laughs> I don't know. I know baseball pretty well, but the uh, couple of those threw me off. Yeah, you know, you have to go back in the archives. I'm sure you were really locked into those 1940s Cardinal seasons. I know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but I was thinking of the shortened seasons before then, and I'm like, well, okay. But see, I already have confidence in the way that you are going through this. Your thought process tells me that you may be on track there. All right, Randy, say good morning to Nick. Nick, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm good, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks for uh, texting in and playing with us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Randy, question number one. Hmm? What team had the most players hit 30 or more home runs in a single season in Major League Baseball history? Last year's Twins. I think they had five. All right, question number two for you, Randy. What year did the Cardinals have the most wins in franchise history? It was the uh, 105-win team of 2004. Randy, the Blues take on the Blackhawks tonight in an exhibition game among active players. Who has played the most games in a Blackhawks uniform? Uh, I would think that it's got to be Duncan Keith. I, I don't think there's anybody that would be even reasonably close to Duncan Keith. And your final question, Randy, who is the last Blues captain to record a 30-plus goal season? Ah, this is a good one. <laughs> and uh, I think I think Bacchus did. Um, 
So we haven't had uh, one from Petro, so Bacchus was the last blue captain. I'll go with David Bacchus. Okay. We have a tie, people. Oh, no way. I tied Randy? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a win in my book. See, Nick? I told you the, the power of positive programming, okay? You changed your mentality. You tied Randy. And you still have a chance to win because we do have a tiebreaker question. Good. Now, to remind everyone, this is how this is going to work. Before we run through all the answers, we're going to do the tiebreaker here. We will ask the question, Nick, you have the, the first crack at this. You're going to give us your answer to the question. Randy is going to write down his answer after I ask it so that there's no cheating here. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be closest to the pin. If one of you gets it right, you win. And if one, if both of you don't get it right, it's going to be the, <laughs> the closest contestant. Okay? Got it. Okay. All right, Nick. I love this question. How many goals... Did our teammate Jamie Rivers have in his professional hockey career? Oh, goodness. Hockey would be the question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't even have a ballpark. Uh, 620. I don't know. Okay. And Brand, Brand, oh, so Nick's answer. 620 goals that Jamie Rivers had in his career. (laughs) That's okay. Um, Randy, your guess is, I see you right. You had written it down. 17. 17. Okay. We do. We do. (laughs) This is, if this is price is right, we're on both ends of the spectrum here, but we do have a winner. We have a winner and still champion. Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, Nick. Randy got you in the tiebreaker. Let's run through the answers here. Uh, The team that had the most players hit 30 or more home runs in a single season in Major League Baseball history was last year's Twins, 5 in 2019. Um, The Cardinals team that has the the most wins in franchise history is the 1942 Cardinals with 106 wins, and they won the Mm. World Series that last that year, not last year, obviously. Um, the player among active players who has played the most games in a Blackhawks uniform is Duncan Keith with 1,138. And the last Blues captain to record a 30-plus goal season is Brett Hall. 95-96 season, he had 43 goals. And our tiebreaker question, how many goals did Jamie Rivers have in his career? What did you say, Nick? 620? I thought I said 20, but you know, 620, yeah. <laughs> Well, either way, the correct answer is 17. Randy had it right on the nose. But, Nick, I think Jamie Rivers may be telling people that that you were correct in this. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Maybe next time I'll call in and he'll have it. That's right. Well, Nick, such a great time. Thanks for playing. And maybe one day you can come back and challenge Randy and you'll get it. But you were close. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. So when Nick first came on... I was like, how are you doing today? He's like, I'm feeling great. But, you know, I know Randy's so great at, at trivia. And I go, no, no, you need to stop yourself there. It's the power of positive programming. It's like it's a secret, right? You need to manifest your victory. Mm-hmm. And then so he changed his mentality and he came out and he tied you. That's very nice. Good well, job. Just so Nick doesn't feel bad, when I looked up the question, I was thinking, uh, I think I told Mike Ryder 120 was my guess. And I looked it up and saw 17. So not <laughs> 620, but I was way off too. <laughs> All right. That is the fight on 101 ESPN coming up. The Carriker and Smallman Book Club continues as we read 
Three Nights in August, the classic by Buzz Bissinger about the 2003 Cardinals and specifically a three-game series against the Cubs. And Michelle and I are are going to give you our uh, three takeaways from our latest section of reading next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Our current book for the Character and Smallman Book Club is Three Nights in August, written by Buzz Bissinger. This came out in 2005, and we had you vote on it, and we hope that you're reading along because it is a great book, and there are some great memories in this, Michelle, uh, things that I had forgotten and things that are great to know. But I think if you haven't read it and you really want to get behind the scenes, not of a major league club, but if you want to get behind the scenes of a Tony Larusa run club, it doesn't get any better than Three Nights in August. It really is a deep dive behind the scenes of the way Tony runs a club and his thought process in running a club. If you love baseball, if you love Cardinal baseball, if you love Tony Larusa, and you you ever wanted to get even you know an inch, get in the a small corner of his mind, this is the best book you could possibly read. I smile the entire time I read this, Randy. Yeah, not all the players are smiling all the time. No, they're not. No. no. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the, my takeaways this week is how it was pointed out that J.D. Drew wore a Cardinal jersey but wasn't really part of the team. He wasn't part of a clique. He was a loner in the clubhouse. When the game was over and he would leave the clubhouse, he would just walk out on his own. And in addition to the fact that Larusa and the rest of the staff were really bothered by the level of physical gifts that J.D. Drew had that he didn't use, he in addition to not using the gifts very well, really wasn't a member of the team either. That was another one of my takeaways, Randy, was about J.D. Drew as well, about how Tony La Russa constantly wondered if it was J.D.'s fault that he had it max out his potential or if it was the fault of Tony La Russa about the manager, if he wasn't doing enough to extract that out of him. But I thought this was so fascinating, Randy. One night that it talks about how Tony La Russa was having dinner at Dominic's with one of the Cardinals owners, and they were having this discussion about J.D. Drew and about how La Russa has managed a lot of players. And the question came up of how many players players Tony La Russa had managed who've had that rare combination of talent and fiery heart. And what, what would your guess be if you had to put it? I know you know the answer because you yeah. read the book, but when you were getting there, what would your guess be? Because I actually asked Tony the question one time and it might have been like when Tiger really took off. So we, we were just talking about athletes that had combined the gifts mm-hmm. and, and the intensity and he listed off three or four, so I would have figured five, maybe. That's exactly what I thought. As I was reading through this, I thought, there can't be more than five, max. And Tony said in the 24 years that he had managed, obviously, mm. when this book was written, 17 players had willed themselves to put it all together. So 17 guys had that rare combination of talent and fiery heart, which I thought was a way higher number than I would yeah. have anticipated. And you wonder if... For example, Ricky Henderson, does, because we wouldn't perceive Ricky Henderson as one of those guys. I wonder if he was one of the people that he was talking about. McGuire clearly mm-hmm. won. Seaver, Dave Stewart, um, we just named four. And, so, and then you have Albert. So that uh, it would be interesting to know, the, to have the list of the 17. Yeah, we need that list. Yeah. And I wonder if any guys were added to the list after the book was written. Uh, after 2006... 
Well, when was this uh, conversation? Oh three. Oh three. So Yachty. So he really, yeah, and he hadn't had Chris Carpenter yet. So there's two. Yeah. So we're up to nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to believe that those two are are in it for sure. Uh, Michelle, I also thought that it was interesting, and we, this both struck both of us, how you perceive that in baseball, people always talk about the players taking care of indiscretions themselves. Let the players handle it. And in terms of players getting hit, Tony didn't want the players to handle it. No, he didn't. That was one of my favorite lines in the entire book, Randy. And I highlighted it, and I wrote it down. So I, I just thought this was so fascinating because... When you watch Tony LaRusso manage, he had this reputation of being the guy that would vengeance was something that he was going to go after. He was going to seek retribution. And he describes that that was one of the most gut wrenching decisions in his 25 years of making decisions, baseball decisions and agony that affected him even more than losing. And we know how much losing really just rankled Tony LaRusso. But having to determine whether uh, his batter if it was hit by a pitch, if it, if there was you know malice involved, if it was not intentional, then having to balance that with the the batter wanting retribution, and I just I thought that this was an amazing line because we talk about Tony having complete control of his ball club, and Bernie so aptly nicknamed him Don Tony, and he said, "quote If you think you should be protected and there's no retaliation, you don't go to your pitcher, you come to me." Because yeah. he wanted to be the one to make that decision. And he also made sure to go to Dave Duncan to find out if Dunk thought that the opposing pitcher was throwing at the Cardinals. Because he, he believed that Dunk had the best eye for whether or not the ball just got away or if there was some malice intended. But isn't that fascinating to think that so many people who would watch games would just assign that reputation to Tony and not know or understand that he really agonized over making that decision? And he hated the idea. As a matter of fact, one of the things he told his team every year in spring training is you don't, when we do retaliate, we never retaliate above the ribs. Mm -hmm. And BT got suspended one time for going up and in on David Wright. And Tony was really unhappy with Brad. And, you know, Brad wasn't going to hurt anybody with as hard as he threw. But uh, they, they got really upset with uh, going after David Wright the way that BT did it. And, and that one got away. Um, did Brad explain to you when he relayed that story what it was like for Tony LaRusso to be mad at him about that? Because now yeah. having read this book and really understanding the gravity in which Tony made these decisions and how angry he would be if pitchers disobeyed him in that way, what was that like? Yeah, kind of scary. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I would not want to have that conversation. Yeah. What else struck you? So we tend to look at Albert Pujols, and he's obviously on this pedestal for us here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He's he's a statue-type guy. We know that he embodies greatness. He gave us so many magical moments, and he was the guy that anytime he stepped in the box, you felt like he was going to deliver. But we know that he wasn't a first-round draft pick, and we know he wasn't a J.D. dude type that was heralded mm-hmm. in, that, in that type of way. But I want to read you one quick paragraph, Randy, because— when I read this about Albert Pujols, the way Buzz Bissinger described how he came to the Cardinals organization, yep. it it made me smile so hard. And I thought, what a great piece of this story. OK, so here's what he says about Albert Pujols. He slipped in out of nowhere. He wasn't a big time bonus baby. He wasn't a first round pick or even a 10th round pick. At the outset, he seemed like nothing beyond a guy with a pretty good bat and an interesting glove who could tell people in 20 years around the grill that he once had a shot. 
Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Think about that yeah. for a second. A guy who at that moment in time, people looked at and said, oh, yeah, this is going to be a fun party story for him yeah. that he got, you know, a cup of coffee with a professional baseball organization. And he ends up going on to be one of the greatest players who's ever played yeah. the game. It's funny because I have a passage that I wanted to read that's exact almost right after that. But I want to preface it by saying that one time in Jupiter, I was sitting up, it was a game that wasn't being broadcast, and I was sitting in the booth with a scout from the Giants. And we were talking about Pujols. Pujols comes up to the plate, and he said, yeah, I'm amazed by this. He said, when I watched him in college, and it was at Maplewoods Community College, he said, he looked like Fat Bastard from the Austin Powers movie. He said, <laughs> I took him off our list. We wouldn't even draft him. Because of his body type? Because of his body type, and he just was just so slow and lumbering, and we didn't think he'd ever get in shape. He said, credit to the Cardinals people that saw that swing, because I didn't see it. And so the Giants wouldn't have even drafted him. Wow. And this is uh, just a little part later from what Michelle just read you. A highly respected college coach who watched him play in a summer league over the over in Hayes never thought that Pujols would make it and wasn't singing a solo. Pujols' body was soft. He was considered slow, never better than 4.6 or 4.7 seconds to first. His bat was slow as well, and he rarely pulled the ball. In a world buzzing with scouts and the counting of the next thing in which promising players are tracked from the age of 12 by the publication Baseball America, Pujols was the antithesis of the prodigal player. Before he was drafted, he was mentioned only once in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in 1997 as a player to watch in the Class 4A Missouri High School Baseball Tournament alongside such unfamiliar names as Chris Franca and Eric O'Connor. Nobody saw him coming, and then he gets to camp with the Cardinals in 01, and who is it that has him pegged as a major leaguer? It's Mark McGuire. I loved that part, too, because after having had that conversation with Mark McGuire in anticipation of Long Gone Summer, and we talked to him about what he saw in David Freeze in 2011, Mm -hmm. where he said to to Tony, hey, he's going to put it all together. Just give him some more time. And then we know what he mm-hmm. went on to do in the postseason. But to think that even then, his eye for Albert, that he is hitting Tony Lewis on the back seat saying after... Dude, he's on the club. Yeah, after Albert <laughs> hits a home run, he's saying, dude, I told you, he's got to make the club. You've got to go with this guy. Again, it just made me smile because I think... You know, we know what Tony LaRusso means to this Cardinals organization. Mm-hmm. We know what Mark McGuire means from a statistics standpoint. We know what he's done from from his time on the field. But just little things like that, whether it's the David Free story or the way that he saw something in Albert Pujols, he's got his fingerprints all over a lot of players that have had success with this club. And here's what's scary for me. And this book came out 14 years ago. This year, the MLB draft was five rounds. And the expectation is, is that it's going to be 10. Albert Pujols never would have been drafted, wow. and nobody would have ever, he, with what he was said about him, with that body type, mm-hmm. nobody would have ever signed him as a, an undrafted free agent. If we had a 10-round draft, we would have never seen Albert Pujols play, one of the five or six best players in the history of the game. That's a shame. Yeah. It really is. A lot of players that could develop into something amazing. Right. Not getting that shot. That is this week's edition of the Caracur and Small Moon Book Club, three nights in August on 101 ESPN. we got to get Buzz Bissinger on the show, by the way. Absolutely. Should, for next week's uh, edition, we need to get Buzz on the show. Coming up, today's big thing, uh, the Marlins had a bunch of people test positive, but what about the rest of baseball? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Caracur and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 
901 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle and Randy with you. Eddie Olchek is going to join us at the bottom of the hour, the lead analyst for the NHL on NBC. Looking forward to that visit. Michelle John Morosi tweeting moments ago that the Marlins traveling party remains in Philadelphia this morning, awaiting additional COVID-19 test results before determining their next steps. Their games throughout the course of the weekend have been canceled at the moment, or at least postponed. Their next scheduled game is at home one week from today against the Phillies. And interestingly, the Marlins are the only team with positive tests. The only team in baseball that tested positive over the course of the weekend was the Miami Marlins. And it was such great news yesterday to get word that so far no Phillies players had tested positive. Now, I know per the CDC, it could take up to 14 days for a positive test, a positive COVID test to start to show itself. But I think having those early results that no one showed signs of having it is great. And I, I just am holding my breath and crossing my fingers that that continues because you want everybody to be safe and healthy. 6,400 tests conducted since Friday, and there have been no new positives of on-field personnel from any of the other 29 clubs. Uh, the Phillies, by the way, don't get to play again until Friday night because of their exposure to the Marlins, but they haven't had any positive tests. But as you mentioned, Michelle, there is a time for the the virus to manifest. And the Nationals are also off all weekend, and that's the team I would think of, well, the Nationals and the Phillies. They're going to have to find ways, they being Major League Baseball, to get them to play all their games. Yes. With the Marlins, you you certainly would like to, but they're not necessarily going to be in the conversation at the end of this. But those two teams, you need to figure out a way to get the schedule uh, back on track. I'm sure there's some sort of program, Randy, some sort of computer program where they could type it in and they could mm-hmm. find, they could cross-reference the Venn diagrams and figure out days to, to make the schedule up. But you're right, they're going to have to get it done. And credit to baseball for being creative and proactive in rather than the Orioles sitting at home and the, the Yankees sitting at home, they said, well, why don't we just have these two play each other? And then that, that'll open up dates later on for the Phillies to play the Yankees as they were supposed to do. Like you said, they'll have to have the the old Venn diagram going, but they have the ability now to do that because they've opened up a couple of dates. This, Randy, 35 seconds ago from John Heyman, Marlins ace Sandy Alcantara is among the 15 Miami players who are positive. Marlins are at a real pitching deficit, have already claimed three pitchers need more, especially ones ready to pitch in the bigs right away. So they have the first opportunity for a waiver claim, but if Atlanta doesn't put Fultonavich on waivers, for example, if the Cardinals want to trade for him, then the the Marlins wouldn't have the ability to go get him. They did pick up a couple of pitchers off waivers, and any pitcher that winds up on waivers, I would think, is going to wind up as a member of the Marlins. This is such a stressful situation for them, trying to cobble together um, a group of guys that are major league ready that you can just throw out there as you're dealing with 15 players who are testing positive, and all of them may have varying degrees of what they're dealing with from uh, a symptom standpoint. Some may be asymptomatic, so you're waiting for those back-to-back negative tests. Uh, That's a very, very difficult thing for that club to navigate. And interestingly, down in Jupiter, will 
Alex Reyes was working out during the quarantine. He was working out with Sandy Alcantara. And Alcantara had tested negative throughout on the intake with the Marlins. And Reyes, we presume, when he tested positive, it was because of the plane flight from Miami to St. Louis. And that's what put him on the shelf. And now Sandy Alcantara, among 15 Miami players, 15 out of their 30, half of their roster has tested positive. Wow. It just shows you how quickly the virus can spread. And this yeah. was something that we were fearful of when we realized the players weren't going to be in a bubble-type situation. And you just hope that the rest of the league takes note. And you've mentioned this. You look at the Marlins situation and you say, well, I better stay in. Yeah. I'm going straight from my the plane to the bus to the bus to my hotel room, and I'm not leaving there until I absolutely have to because if that's me, I do not want the responsibility of being someone that's been even a smidge irresponsible that could put my team at a deficit, especially if you're a team that can contend. And here are the Blues now starting up their preseason tonight, well, their, their only exhibition game against the Blackhawks, and it's at a 4.30 pregame, 5.30 with the faceoff here on 101 ESPN. Curbs and Joey will have the call for you. And the bubble situation clearly working for the NBA and the National Hockey League. I don't believe that in the current environment with the hot spots that we have in Arizona and Florida that you could have pulled this off with baseball. But even put football is... They've got people suggesting a roving bubble for football. I don't think football, Michelle, is going to be able to pull this off. I I look at all the leagues, and I don't see any way that you can get a group of 80 players during camp, 53 during the regular season, 65 if you include the practice squad. I don't see any way that football is going to be able to, for example, like baseball has, have a week where only one team tests positive. Right. And if you're the NFL... I mean, let's remove college football out of the equation because that's increasingly mm-hmm. looking like it's not going to play out. But with the NFL, you know that they're going to try to find a way. And you know that despite what's happening with Miami, the NFL has probably still got the confidence that they're going to be able to execute this outside of a bubble. But if you're in those tight league circles, you've got to be having conversations saying, hey, how many times have we been reactive? In, in the history of our league, we catch a yeah. lot of heat for being reactive here. And this is people's lives at stake, okay? This isn't just about money or suspensions or cheating. This is people's health, okay? This is their lives. And if a bubble scenario is working, we have all the money and resources in the world. The NFL, out of any of these organizations, out of any of these leagues, has the resources to be able to execute whatever they want. Mm -hmm. They have the money. They can figure it out. And I would be calling up the brightest minds in logistical planning, Randy, and trying to figure out some sort of way that we could execute a bubble. I would, too. I just don't think that they believe that they're going to be affected by it. I still think right now that that league doesn't, the NFL doesn't believe that they're going to be affected by it. Well, their arrogance is going to be a detriment to them because what's yeah. going to happen if a weekend a, a team tests, an entire outbreak is on a team and, and maybe the opposing team as well? What, what are you going to do there? The, what are you going to do? And what sport is more susceptible to having players breathing on each other or bleeding on each other or accidentally spitting on each other? Uh, in, in terms of spreading p- particles, no sport is no. more likely. And trying to find another starting pitcher to go out there, why it might hurt you from a competitive standpoint is one thing. What if your lockdown left tackle comes down with it? 
and then you have to plug in a guy who's not as good and not necessarily ready for that position. You're putting your quarterback at risk. There's just a lot of things in football from a physical standpoint where you we don't. We lived that for a decade here without COVID. <laughs> Yeah, let's have Sam Bradford, okay, talk to the council here and talk about how important a a staunch offensive line is. But for real, though, in a contact sport like that that's already violent and physical, it's not as easy as plug and play a lot of times. Right. Michelle, our friend, let's start with this. We saw how great Nick Bosa was last year for the 49ers. He was sensational. He was the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Our friend Chris Long says that his older brother Joey is better than Nick. Yesterday... Joey Bosa reached an agreement on a contract extension, a five-year deal for $135 million that makes him the highest-paid defensive player in the history of the league. He's making more than Aaron Donald. He's the highest-paid defensive lineman, highest-paid defensive player in L.A. And let's see if he'll learn it. He needs to stay healthy, but, man, is he good. But to me... I, I'm going to, and I know the NFL is about who is up next in terms of contract. I think it would be very easy to go to any player on a defensive line and say, well, are you as good or as productive as Aaron Donald? Well, you don't get as much as Aaron Donald. Yeah. You, the, the league needs to have some collusion. <laughs> yeah, how many players could really look someone dead in the eye and say, yeah, I'm better and more productive than Aaron Donald? Yeah, no, you can't. So, And Joey Bosa is really, really good. Uh, It's also the largest contract ever awarded by the Chargers. Remember, they had Phillip Rivers for 16 years and the first contract to reach $100 million in franchise history. Thank you, Stan. Here we go. It's 15% of everything that stadium makes or is going to make is going to the Chargers. They pay a dollar a year for rent and 15% of the income, the profits from that stadium go right into the pockets of the Chargers. And exactly what you said is the exact reason why when people say, oh, what if the Chargers coming to St. Louis? I say, highly unlikely because of that. They are paying $1 in rent and they're pocketing all of that revenue. They don't Who cares have, if they're second yeah, fiddle? Right. They don't have to lift a finger. Right. And when there's a Super Bowl in that building, Chargers get 15%. When there's Olympics in that building, when there's a Final Four, when there's a Taylor Swift concert, the Chargers get 15% of the profits. Without doing anything. Don't don't have to lift a finger. It's pretty good. Good deal if you can get it. That is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, is on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We want you to know that Budweiser and 101 ESPN have teamed up for a one-of-a-kind giveaway. We're giving away a custom Budweiser-branded John Deere riding lawnmower. Find the contest now on your 101 ESPN mobile app and use the promo code BUD to get entered. You have to be 21 plus to enter. See the full contest rules and more uh, on your 101 ESPN mobile app or online at 101ESPN.com. Must download that free 101 ESPN mobile app to enter. Just type in 101 ESPN to the Google Store or your iTunes Store. Is it still the iTunes Store or is it the Apple Store now? I think they might have changed it. I don't know. If you have an iPhone, just go to your App Store and you can find it there. I was just going to say, I bet you could just go to the App Store. 
I'm sure if you have an Apple device, you can find it. It'll be very easy. (laughs) All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Small! All right, Randy, we had a fun segment, uh, I don't know, maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, about Patrick Mahomes. Hey, he's got a half billion dollars with that massive (laughs) extension with the Chiefs. What's he going to buy? What's going to be a big purchase for him? Well, we know that he certainly went into the ownership route. He is now a member of the new ownership group of the Kansas City Royals. He uh, announced that yesterday. He said, quote... And this, honestly, was something that I'm like, man, it's nice to have somebody like that in the state of Missouri. He said, I'm honored to become a part owner of the Kansas City Royals. I love this city and the people of this great town. This opportunity allows me to deepen my roots in this community, which is something I'm excited to do. Isn't that awesome? That's great. And he's 24 years old. And he's a part owner of a Major League Baseball team. And the value of that team is presumably going to rise. And maybe he can teach him something about uh, winning. Yeah, that's true. And his dad, a Major League pitcher, too. Yeah, he spent a lot of time in in clubhouses as a kid. Is something that, that he mentioned as well. But if you're in Kansas City, you couldn't love this guy anymore. No. And then he comes out, he invests in another professional organization within your town. And his reasoning is, is that he loves your city. He loves the sports fans in this town. And he wants to grow deeper roots in Kansas City. Yeah, he's the man. He really is. He can do no wrong, right? No, he can't. He'll never go anywhere. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, we know the NBA is getting started up in the bubble. Now, normally during playoffs, LeBron does Zero Dark 3023, which is his self-imposed social media blackout for the playoffs mm-hmm. so that he's not distracted. He can stay completely locked in. Now, he said this season is different. It has a different feel, a different mindset. So he said, quote, I'm not turning off my phone during this run. I can't afford to. I have to continue to check in with my family every single day. So no Zero Dark 3023 for LeBron. Now, Randy, as I'm reading this, I'm saying, well, that has nothing to do with Twitter or Instagram. Nope. You can still check in with your family, FaceTime them, call them, shoot them a text, perhaps an email, without having to access social media. But the question is, have you ever had a playoff scenario outside a bubble where in the space of eight or nine months, you have a movie premiere that you might need to promote? Because you do have Space Jam 2 coming out if you're LeBron. And there's a very good reason to have access to Instagram and Twitter because you need to promote that thing. Also, you know LeBron is going to want to churn out all this bubble content on Instagram. It's going to be all over. It's going to be great. He's going to have Taco Tuesday in there. Mm -hmm. You know that. I mean, listen, I don't care whether you go zero dark 30, 23 or not, but don't tell me it's because you want to check in with your family. I understand it's difficult for you as a family man to leave your family. And he specifically mentioned checking in with his mother, which I agree is important. That has nothing to do with social media. Just straight up say, hey, this is a once in a lifetime thing. I want to document it. I also am going to be scrolling Instagram late night, maybe liking some posts and I respect it. You're in a bubble. You've got nothing else to do. So just keep the IG on your phone. If he was walking in with a flip phone, I would buy it. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. But he's not walking in with a flip phone. He's keeping the smartphone. He's keeping the apps, Randy. All the apps are intact. And I just, it just makes me laugh that he can say things like this and people will say, yeah, okay, of course, why not? (laughs) For sure. Just I'm in the bubble. What else am I doing? Right. Hey, could you imagine being in a bubble without a phone? No. Yeah, you have to have your phone with you. You have to have it. Honestly, if you're packing a bag and you're throwing things in, you're power ranking things of importance, is your phone not the first thing you throw it's in number there? Number one. Yeah. Because everything else you can get in the bubble, yep. really. If and you, need you don't it. if you're an NBA player in the bubble, you don't need a wallet. No. 
You've, and you could get that on your phone, Apple Pay. You've got a bed and you've got food. So really, you don't even need to pack a suitcase. All you need to do is, because you, you've got all your gear from the team there. Yeah. You just show up with your phone. There you go. That's literally all you need. Yeah. And they're going to have pillows. They have robes. Right. They're so, going to have, as you said, all your gear, all your food. Yeah. So LeBron could just walk around in Lakers shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. I wonder, I know some players brought extensive shoe collections. I know mm. some guys brought a, an abundance of white tees because they like their specific white tees. But... Really? What what do you need an outfit for? What do you need a fresh right. look for? So you are going, Michelle Smallman's going into a bubble for two months. Do you bring multiple pairs of shoes? I only bring two pairs of shoes. I think I'm going my personal slippers uh-huh. because comfort is key. Yeah. And I like mine probably more than the, you know, sometimes at a hotel, the slippers they give you, the soles are too thin. Yeah, it's, not, right. it's not very comfortable to walk across the floor because the soles aren't hard enough. So I'm going my personal slippers. If I'm going in this space, I obviously have the shoes that I need to compete in. And then I think I'm throwing in sandals to walk around or some other casual tennis shoe. That's so, the way I'm going so too. So maybe yeah. three max? Yeah. I, four? Yeah, for me, I, w- I wasn't even thinking slippers. I, I was going to... I'm not that snooty that I would worry about hotel slippers being too thin. Randy, I am a relaxation professional. Okay. (laughs) I can tell you I have three different robes. I have a seasonal. Oh, my gosh. We're going seasonal robes right now. We're working with a shorter waffle robe because it's Mm -hmm. hot outside. In the winter, we have a heavy terry cloth robe Mm -hmm. that's longer and, uh, you know, provides the comfort as well as the heat. And uh, we have another one that I got. It's kind of a, a lightweight, more silk robe that I got at a wedding that you work in sometimes when you're getting ready. Okay. Two pairs of slippers, moccasins, and a slide-on pair. Relaxation professional. Come on. I, I like that. So I, I, I'm i going to go with their slippers, and I'll just take a, a pair of sneakers. And then I figure my team has my Nikes with me, my, my basketball shoes. You're killing me, Small. We love Joe Kelly here in St. Louis. Yeah, Randy. he's great. We love Joe Kelly. L.A. now loves Joe Kelly as mm-hmm. well. He had quite the night last night. Okay, so it was a 5-2 Dodgers win over the Astros. That's not the story at all. So Joe Kelly decides to throw behind some players. He's exchanging words with Carlos Correa. Uh, there are some things that we probably can't say. He's looking back and he's making a pouty face. <laughs> but I think my favorite part of this is that after Correa and Joe Kelly exchanged words, after Joe Kelly struck him out, the bench is cleared following this exchange and obviously players can't brawl they can't fight they have to socially distance <laughs> so to see them all kind of standing in this it reminded me of coach and Tori talking about an amoeba defense just kind yeah, of right. how everybody's just hanging out getting ready to do something but imagine that you're so fired up you want to fight somebody and you can't so you just have to stand apart from them and yell at them did you ever see west side story the play was- i didn't but I, I know it's a classic it's kind of like West Side Story, where everybody's got their knives out, but nobody's really engaging in a battle. It was kind of like that. I, I love social distanced brawls. I, it's become like my favorite thing in sports now. Yeah, it's really fun to see. But I would like to have. I would have liked to watch those two teams actually go at it. Yeah, that that would be fun. But it, what would be better is to hear the cutting remarks. Like, who is Joe Kelly, the guy with the the best lines? to slice and dice the the Astros? And do the Astros come back with, hey, you won a World Series because your team was cheating? Well, I do have an answer to that. Dusty Baker, this is from Bob Nightingale. Dusty Baker last night on Joe Kelly. Quote, what really enraged enraged everybody is what he told Carlos Correa when he struck him out. Joe Kelly Kelly yelled at him, nice swing, bitch. (laughs) 
I love it. Love so, it. Yeah, yeah, if I'm Correa, I'm a little upset. But um, think about that, that that's what Joe Kelly yells at him. It's great. How can you not love him? You have to love that. And I, I would hope that at some point in there, somebody yelled to the Astros, it's not as easy when you don't know what's coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if, if you pointed to Joe Kelly and said, hey, well, your team probably doing the same thing. If you're in LA, all's forgiven, right? Right. After but last night? If you're the Astros, you have to try to use that and, and weaponize it. And you saw him mouthing off to them. You couldn't hear all of it, but you could see him saying something about cheating. Yeah. So it is a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black, but whatever. We we love Joe Kelly. We have forgiven Joe Kelly. And it's cool that baseball players, even without the fans, baseball players have not forgotten. And they know what the Astros did, and they diminished the integrity of the game, and the other players have recognized that. So that part of it is, from my perspective, it's cool to see and hear. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy. Well, the NHL, again, going to the hub cities. They are pushing out some content about what life is going to be like there. They had a video that kind of, you know, was reminiscent of a 90s family sitcom. And it's showing all of the star players who are back in action. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, okay, this guy, that guy. Oh, Ryan Reeves. Good to see him. Not one St. Louis Blue was featured in this video, Randy. Not one member of the defending or the reigning, I should say, Stanley Cup champions that are the top team in the West. Not one Blue made the video. I would suggest that that is a major issue of disrespect. But I also think that they're probably looking at market size and saying, well, yeah, we really don't care about St. Louis. They got theirs. But I hope that this is a thorn in the side of the Blues. I hope it's something that they can use as a motivational tool, not that you use disrespect by the league to motivate you to win a Stanley Cup. But at some point, maybe at the beginning, say, to hell with you guys. We're going to win this thing again because we're good and you guys don't recognize it. True. But I'm getting sick of the disrespect, Randy. I'm talking about the national disrespect. During the Blues run last year, it was never about the Blues. And this is one of the greatest stories, not only of last year, in the history of sports. Okay? I don't need the storylines on a national level when the Blues are playing the Sharks to be, hey, win one for Joe Thornton. That's not Mm -hmm. the greatest storyline that's happening right now. It was ne- it was about the Bruins. It was never about the Blues. And I I just I hate that that has carried over even after they've proven themselves not only by winning but coming back and being a, a, a the dominant if not one of the most dominant teams not only in the West but in the league. And you're not even going to feature one of them in the welcome back video. Come on. L- let me the disrespect, Randy. I'm sick it, of it. It is. But but let me make, turn this for you. Don't you love or wouldn't you love to have the knowledge that Jordan Bennington knows about this? Yes. <laughs> y- you know what? And let's throw another log on the fire. Craig Berube getting snubbed yes. for the Jack Adams. Or I'm sick of the disrespect. Yep. And, and Berube will be able to use this as a tool at some point, maybe not before game one of their playoffs, but he'll be able to use that as a tool. I think it's a highly motivational tool for all the blues players to use but i i get i think that a guy like bennington pays more attention to that stuff than most of the others he'll know 
And he'll want to stick it to those people that didn't respect the blues. Yeah, I wonder if they know or not, because you would like them to know and to get that that edge just that much sharper. But I wonder if they seriously don't even care if they're like, what video? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm focused on my game. They might. Well, Jordan Bennington himself might say that. But this is a guy that said, do I look nervous? He knows exactly what's being said about the blues. Like last year when... uh, who was the coach that he said, who's, uh, it wasn't, oh yeah, it was Montgomery. Who's Jim Montgomery? Yeah, who's he knew, that? He knew who Jim Montgomery was. Of course. So it's great stuff. Yeah, so keep disrespecting them. But I'm sick of it. They they might use it as fuel. I personally am sick of it. But it won't bother you when they're hoisting that cup again. Yeah, it will. You'll, you'll say, hey, there's respect right there. We're hoisting the cup again. I, I will love it when the Blues hoist the cup back-to-back years, but then I'll be mad when it gets a 30-second run on SportsCenter. What does... Thank you, Michelle. By the way, that was great. That was your killing me smalls. What does Eddie Olchuk think of the Blues' chances? The lead analyst for the NHL on NBC will tell us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're looking forward to tons of hockey. We're going to have the Blues and the Blackhawks this evening here on 101 ESPN. Their exhibition game, 4.30 pregame, 5.30 with the faceoff. And we'll see a lot of hockey on NBC. And Eddie Olchuk is uh, the U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer that's a lead game analyst for the NHL on NBC. And he joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Eddie, with Michelle Smallman, this is Randy Carricker. Thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How's everything going? I'm doing well. Thank you, uh, Randy, Michelle. Nice to be with you. Hope you're all uh, safe and healthy and all your listeners and all those uh, great fans there in St. Louis, uh, baseball and hockey. And uh, looking forward to uh, working tonight. I get to call the uh, exhibition game between the uh, the Blackhawks and the Blues, as you mentioned, uh, Randy, and uh, a tune-up for uh, tune-up for the Blackhawks before they got to play for real on Saturday, and then the Blues get an opportunity to play a couple of games to uh, get ready for the seating, and then uh, we can drop the puck for real and get into the final 16. But it's going to be great to be back, and uh, hopefully everybody is uh, going to be watching and entertained, and we understand what's going on in the real world. And uh, but it's an opportunity for us. It, NBC and throughout the National Hockey League to entertain our the greatest fans and all of sports uh, hockey fans and uh, hopefully they'll be uh, entertained and uh, we can just take them away from the the real world for a little bit of uh, time over the course of the next uh, couple of months. Yeah, Eddie, it's like Christmas here in St. Louis. We have Cardinal baseball and Blues hockey back. What more could we ask for? But since you have the call tonight for the Blues and the Blackhawks in this exhibition game, I want to ask you, what are some things you're going to be keeping an eye out for in this matchup? Because both of these teams, first time they're facing an actual opponent on the ice in many months. Yeah. You know, I I don't know about taking too much into it, Michelle, really. Um, You know, I think it's an opportunity for for coaches to get back and feel behind the bench and, uh, you know, seeing what players are, you know, you know, kind of just, you know, how, how they're doing, how they're feeling, you know, the body language, you know, and, you know, you can practice all you want. You can have inner squad games all you want, but there's nothing like going up against another team. And, you know, but, you know, I mean, the intensity that I saw in the games that were played yesterday, there were a couple of exhibition games that were played in the national hockey league yesterday. And, 
Uh, it was pretty good intensity at times. And then I think, you know, all players and teams have hit a wall at some point just because they haven't had the competitive balance here for four plus months. So, you know, I, I think for a player, Michelle, I think it's about timing. I think it's about, uh, you know, just feel again. Uh, as I said, I mean, the Blues have, you know, and earned, I should say, that's probably most importantly, I think they've earned the opportunity to have a few games and get their legs under them. And it'll be under, it'll be interesting to see what Chief does. Uh, Craig Berube, the terrific head coach of your Blues, and, um, you know, do, do all the big guys play in all four games? Uh, I would say probably not. Um, but I think from the player's point of view is, you know, you want to, you want to get as many reps as you can, but also understanding is, you know, you want to stay healthy. You want to stay hockey healthy. You want to stay away from everything else. So I think it's just an opportunity to, to get back on the ice and, and, and play against somebody else. And, uh, you know, it should be entertaining. Just, I think people are just so excited to see, you know, their favorite teams back on the ice and I'm looking forward to calling the game, uh, uh, tonight. Eddie, obviously this is unprecedented, but could there be a comp between this and maybe the World Cup of Hockey that took place takes place before the season starts? You've at least then you've had a couple of months off, and it's teams that really have to jump in and play intense yeah. hockey right away. Yeah. Well, I, I was lucky enough, uh, Randy. I guess I'm showing my age. I, I played back in the day before the World Cup of Hockey was the Canada Cup, mm-hmm. where. It's the same exact tournament, and you get together in August, you train, and then you play a couple exhibition games, and then you drop in the puck for real for your own country. And I played in three of those tournaments for Team USA in 84, 87, and 91, and it's very similar. Now, you know, you, there you have, uh, with me excluded, you had the very best of the best from every country playing in those tournaments back then, and now here you have obviously the wide range of all the players in the National Hockey League, so I think it's a a very good comparison. I think the intensity is going to be great, especially in that qualifying round. Obviously, the Blues are not in that, but I think that those qualifying rounds have a chance to just be off the charts because I think everybody understands how important game one is for those best of five. And again, showing my age, I played in an era back in the mid-80s where you had the best of five series in the National Hockey League. I mean, you got behind the eight ball in game one it wasn't only a, you know, uh, you know, how did you play and perform, but also a psychological obstacle that you had to hurdle because, you know, you're like, okay, well, we lost one. There's only four games left, so you do the math. Uh, you got to win three of the next four. And, you know, sometimes that plays into it. And look, this scenario with the players playing up until middle of March and then the pandemic and then the rightful pause and then the return to play and then you're back, you know, how are some teams going to react um, maybe after being down in game one of the series. And, you know, I, I really believe in those qualifying rounds. Again, the Blues are not a part of that. But I really believe that in the eight series for the qualifying round to move on to the final 16, I believe game one, I'm not going to say it's a must, but it's an MUS and I'm getting ready to cross the field. Like, I think that's how important game one is going to be for those best of fives. And I think the entertainment value will be off the charts. So I think very similar, Randy, to the World Cup of Hockey, the Canada Cup, um, that, you know, hey, you get a couple of weeks to, to train um, and work out, and then you got to drop, drop the puck for real. And look, at everybody's on the same page. Everybody is on the same playing field, and the top four from each conference deservedly so got a buy. They're playing for seeding, and uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But it, it, it's very similar to, the, to, the, to those two tournaments that we talked about. Eddie, when we look at the round robin in the West, obviously the Blues are the top team there. But out of the other teams, the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, and the Stars, which team do you think the Blues should be keeping an extra eye on? 
you know, Michelle, I, I don't want to avoid the question, but I guess I'm going to try to stick handle and maneuver my way <laughs> as best I can. I, I, I really believe, and people are saying, you know, like, well, you know, who, who, you know, who, what does, who, what this tournament, who, who does it, you know, who does it benefit the most? Um, and I really don't know. I don't know how a team's going to perform after being off four months. You know, look at it, whether it's the Blues or the Bruins, right? The top two teams in the National Hockey League, in my opinion. Um, you know, how are they going to react? Now, the Bruins and Blues are built very similar, in my opinion. Um, you know, you got some older players. You got some star players. Um, you got consistent goaltending, without a doubt. Both teams are proven as far as winners. Um you know, they're not overly quick. Um, so, you know, h- how is that going to all play out? I, I really don't. Like, I, I, if, if this was, you know, I know what ifs are, but, you know, if we were back in March, probably have a better indication to sit there and see how teams were playing. But, you know, there could be a 11 or a 12 seed or a 10 seed right now in either conference that all of a sudden gets on a roll and, and is feeling it and they found their game and their specialty teams. And, you know, you get a really good team like the Avs or the, the Knights or the Stars or the Blues or whoever it is. And they, you know, it just, it's just not going. And, and I don't want to say you don't have time because those are going to be a best of seven series, but you know, I think, you know, where I'm going here. I, I don't know if it's, if it's any one team particular, because this is just so foreign. Now, if, if you guys, if you would both have me on in, in a couple of weeks, maybe I'd be able to sit there and tell you that, you know what, yeah, I, this team just doesn't look right to me. And, you know, the blues, you know, should handle them or you better look out for this team. Um, I always thought Dallas, um, I've always thought Dallas would be a dangerous team at the start of the year with the acquisitions of Perry and Pavelski. Uh, they've gotten goaltending. They can defend. I just don't know if they can score enough, but I, I still think Dallas would be the, even coming off the pause, I would look at a team like Dallas that maybe doesn't get the headlines as a team, and rightfully so, is the Blues or the Avalanche or the Golden Knights. I think a team like a Dallas Stars could be one of those you know, sneaky teams, even though that they finished fourth in the Western Conference prior to the pause. NHL on NBC's Ed Olchek with us here on 101 ESPN. Eddie, specifically to the Blues, what yep. do you want to see from them to make you know that they're where they were last year in the playoffs? Uh, it's probably the depth, Randy, mm-hmm. uh, because that, that's what separated the Blues from a lot of teams in, in the NHL. I mean, not only not obviously not only getting the great goaltending, but that mobile defense on the back end. You always seem to have somebody jumping into the play from the back end. Uh, Alex Petrangelo obviously was you know was was lights out. You know, last year, but you know, I mean, when when you had you know guys like Bortuzzo and you know the addition, a great addition there of by uh, by Army there, uh, Justin Falk uh, bringing him in from from Carolina. I mean, Pareko jumping in. I mean, at times I know I think Dunn is banged up a little bit just from reading and talking to Darren Pang, my pal and former teammate. But um, you know, they they always had somebody jumping into the play from the back end, very tough to defend in that second and third wave of an active defenseman uh, that made them so dangerous. But I, I think really what separated the blues was the depth and, you know, the four lines. And, you know, I think Sunquist is, is, is banged up as well, but you know, you, you, you can have the depth, but you need to have a coach that has the willingness and the conviction 
to play the guys that are playing. And and Chief has done that. Craig Berube has done that. He did it in Philadelphia where he did an unbelievable job the first time as a coach in, our, in the league. But when he got the opportunity uh, after, you know, uh, becoming the head coach there, even though it was an interim tag or what have you, um, you know, he, if it was a third line guy, those guys played. And I think that's accountability. So I, I will look at the blues and just see how those depth guys are going. And again, it's an exhibition game. I won't read too much into it. I'll really kind of zero in here once they get into the, you know, the seeding games and then obviously getting in and seeing who they're playing in round one. But if the blues are going to have success, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, at least I think it's going to be because of the depth up front and in, in how active their defensemen are and certainly health playing into that. And, and adding, uh, you know, adding Tarasenko back into the lineup is obviously going to be a huge, huge lift for, for the Blues, and uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Eddie Olchuk, great to hear your voice, and it'll be really great to hear your voice and see you doing hockey <laughs> later on today. We can't wait. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to it. We're all working under different circumstances, and, and us hockey broadcasters are no different. We'll be uh, at least the start for me. I'll be doing the games off a monitor in a studio and just like all the local broadcasters throughout our great league. And, and then eventually I'll work my way to the bubble, whether it's in Toronto or Edmonton, I'm still waiting for my assignment, but I'm uh, just looking forward to getting back and, and having some fun and uh, being entertained. And hopefully we can do that for the great hockey fans across our country in North America. Sounds great. Thank you. And hopefully during the playoffs, we can do this again. Be happy to. Thanks for having me. Have a good day, Randy, Michelle. Thank you. All right, Eddie, you too. That's the great Ed Olchuk with us on 101 ESPN. Great stuff. He's right, though. It is really hard to prognosticate because you have no idea what these teams are going to look like after such an extended period off. Right. And inevitably, there are going to be injuries. And right. the, the teams that are able to, just like the regular playoffs, the teams that are able to avoid injuries and withstand that sort of uh, grueling schedule are the ones that are going to succeed. Coming up, Danny Mack is going to be with us. He's walking through the door in a moment. He had Cardinal baseball from Minnesota last night, and it sounded unbelievable. We'll talk to Danny Mack about his show and more next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up at the top of the hour. Then Dan will have the call for the Cardinals and Twins. Later on, the Cardinals will send Daniel Ponce de Leon to the mound, uh, and he'll try to navigate that tough Minnesota lineup, and he'll be opposed by Rich Hill. I know what you're doing. Stop. (laughs) Come on, you don't love that? No, I don't. Are you not entertained? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. (laughs) Stop with the Ponce de Leon and the Navigate and the Found a Youth or whatever you're doing. Just stop. I thought it was pretty good. No, it's not. <laughs> Don't encourage him. <laughs> Were you guys surprised that KK didn't go in the uh, rotation? I was not. I, I wasn't either. Gomber. I, I was a little surprised it wasn't Gomber, but I know what they're doing. You know, Daniel had a really good spring camp, and I think they're going on what they saw with that. And. Um, he went to Streamline, which is in the great Northwest, and improved mechanics, and they like what they're seeing there. It's kind of an analytical thing. Um, so, I, I again, this is this is the problem, and it, I, this is not self-serving, but this is the problem with not being there with the team yeah. to talk about, yeah. you know, what... So we can do the games remotely. That's fine. I mean, I think we showed that last night. Um, and do a fine job, and, and everything goes swimmingly. But... Um, 
but not having the inside information of talking to Mike Schilt or John Mosellock privately or players just don't get some of that inside information. So with, I, I, that's this, but that's why my guess is that they're they're going with Daniel. Yeah, and here's another thing, and tell me if I'm off base here. Yesterday, Mo said we're literally going day by day here. I think the whole league is. And maybe, <laughs> by the way, maybe this is just a matchup thing because I thought Minna- of that too. Minnesota kills left-handers. Yep. And maybe you get to that spot in the rotation later, and it's a team like Cincinnati. If if uh, Mustakis is healthy, and all of a sudden the left-hander is more effective against them. I also think Daniel can pitch up with fastballs in the yep. zone. Um, that's the other thing I thought about with this. Speaking of Mustakis and Sinzel, you know they they self-reported that they were not feeling well. Um, they've had negative tests come back, and the league is saying you got to hold off. And they're saying, look, we're one in four. We've yeah. had negative tests. We're built to win this year. Might be sinus. And it, well, that's what they're saying. It's a head cold. Yeah, we want to play. And um, if you look at what their positions have done since then, I think Mustakis started out like four for eight. And in one game, I had like four RBIs. So they need them to play, and they're having negative tests, and now they can't get back in the lineup. And the Reds are saying, look, we've spent a lot of money for Castellanos, Mustakis. Our pitching rotation is built to win, and we're 1-4. and four. I think that's their record, 1-4. and four. And uh, we can't get them back in the lineup. And I, I think they're, they're filing a grievance, potentially, right. to get them back in. And, you know, we'll see what happens today or tomorrow if they're going to be back in the lineup. I can understand what the outbreak that just happened with the Marlins, where Major League Baseball is saying, "Look, we we got to be as cautious as we can be. If you yeah. if you do have it, or if there's symptoms or whatever, we're we're just we're we're just trying to hold on here and be as caught." So I get both sides of it, but man, it's such a tenuous situation. Well, it's and I sit here and I I hope that. And I, pl- by yeah. the way, I applaud the players for saying, look, I, yeah. I woke up and I think it was Mustakis who said he thinks he had food poisoning. Mm. So you applaud a player for saying, I'm coming, I, I feel sick, so I don't want to get anybody sick if I do have the virus. Yeah. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to go around anybody and spread this thing. Yeah. Pizza, so pizza I, gate. I, I get it. No, I, I think MLB should use an abundance of caution. And uh, I, I think that they should just put something gray on the list too. When they're facing the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Bauer. Bauer looks pretty good. He had, I think, 13 strikeouts. And their closer's pretty good. And Votto looks like Votto right now. I mean, it's a very good team, but they're not playing well for whatever reason. Did you just Pizzagate it? I did. For Moustakis? Mm -hmm. Maybe he ordered a pizza, got it sent to his room, and... You think... Two fans of the opposing team delivered the pizza. Yep, that's what I'm thinking. Five, how Maybe many so? was it? Five, five guys? Five, five guys, guys delivered it. Yeah. Delivered yeah. the pizza. Who knows? The five guys weren't delivered. It was a pizza that was delivered by five gentlemen. Exactly. But it wasn't a, a five guys delivery. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Very important. But it is so tenuous right now, man. I mean, I, I do applaud players for saying, hey, if I'm not feeling perfect or whatever perfect is, I mean, I don't know. In your, I don't know how you guys feel and our audience feels, but anytime I have like a little bit of a cold or sniffles or wake up with a headache or I'm just a little achy, you start thinking, well, what's going on here? You know, and if you're a player, your responsibility is to your teammates and really to the greater good of baseball to make sure that it's kind of a house of cards. Like Mm -hmm. if you get it and you spread it, then your team could get it. As we saw with the Marlins, you got to be extra careful. So you applaud players for saying, look, I'm going to be careful today. I'm not going to come into the clubhouse and potentially spread it. So you've been encouraged to do that. Mm -hmm. 
Now they did that and they say, I feel great and I've had negative tests. I want to come back and Major League Baseball is saying, whoa, hold on now. Hold on. Let's be extra cautious, which I also understand that side of it too. Dan, it's only four games, but two more games, and we talked about this yesterday, will have reached the 10% point of the season. Which is amazing. Yeah. Last year, the Cardinals had an inconsistent offense. You had really good production in the first two games. Not so good, and I understand you had a, a better Homer Bailey than maybe we've ever seen last night. But are you concerned about co- the consistency of this offense? Concerned about Bader. I, I, I'm not liking what you're seeing out of there. I liked what I saw out of Carpenter last night. Gets a couple of hits. Now you, you maybe get him going. Um, with Bader, I was a little surprised they kept him in. I don't know about you guys. With yep. Romo, you know he's going to flip sliders up there. You got a you got a long bench. You can go to it now. Did he ever throw anything? You, I know you. He threw one fastball, I think. So it was probably about ninety percent, which is uh, his which, MO. I thought I thought it was going to be about ninety ninety five percent sliders. That's, that's his mo. Um, so uh, you know, Bader, I, I'll be curious to see if Thomas gets a start tonight. You know, and I understand what Mike was doing. I really do. It's it's early, but it's not right in this mm-hmm. season. He had a double the previous at bat. You're saying, hey, I'm I'm going with you. I'm showing a vote of confidence here. But it was a tough guy to go against with um, with Romo. Uh, Edmund looks good. Uh, I, yeah. Goldschmidt's going to be Goldschmidt. Wong, I think, is going to be Wong. Um, but again, I think it's, it's all in a state of flux. I think you just ride hot hands, and that's what you go with. I really do. Dan, we need you um, to cast a vote for something pretty serious that okay. we talked about on the I, show I'll today. be honest. I have not been listening today, so this would be... I've been running around with the kiddos. Good. And with Doug. So How's Doug doing? He's doing great. Good, he's good. Doing I always like to hear that Doug's doing well. He's doing great. I was saying when Tyler O'Neill hits a home run, I want to call it something. I want a name for that. And we were trying to think of what a good name would be for a Tyler O'Neill home it's gotta run. It's got to be something kind of Canadian, I think. Okay, so that was something that people were, were writing Or weightlifting, in. bodybuilding, maybe. Yes. There we go. So we said a flex. What a flex by Tyler O'Neill. Uh-huh. Or a bromer. Because people call, it, call him bro-neal because he... Obviously Bromer. has the build. I'm just going to say bomb. I it usually <laughs> hits at about 450 exactly. feet. So, but if you could give us just one, it's Oda here. It's a, <laughs> actually I kind of like that. That's good. It's Oda here, <laughs> and he talks like this anyway. So yeah. you know, it kind of yeah. fits with that. Oh, did you ever hear Bob Stelton tell the story when he was in the minors? It was like at the uh, Mariners Fan Fest, and he does have a great voice. And so uh, Stelton is interviewing him. And at the end of the interview, they go to a commercial, and he says, man, thanks. That was great. you got a great set of pipes. And O'Neill grabs his bicep and says, yeah, thanks. I work on it. He said, Tyler's, no, I met your voice. <laughs> Tyler's a great kid, too. Did you see the interview with him uh, the other day? I had him on the post game, so he's down on the oh, field. Oh, yeah, I didn't get to see that. And I said, Tyler, I said, you know, we are socially distanced and really by kind of stadium law here. I, you, you can't come up here. I can't come down there. So I feel comfortable saying this. You're not as big up top, you know. Uh, you're not looking as strong and you're looking more flexible. And he just started laughing. You know, he played along with it. But he's a good kid. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see he's off to a good start. Yeah. And this was by design, you know. I mean, they, they were going to give him this chance and clear the way by getting – Martinez to Tampa Bay and Adolis Garcia out and Randy Rosarena out. And really, I think the idea with him was in talking to coaches in, in spring training and others that I think they felt that he looked over his shoulder a lot. Like, okay, if I got a chance to play in years previous, it was like, okay, if I don't go two for four and three for four and produce and produce and produce, I'm out of here. And now he's getting that chance to play. So you're not looking over your shoulder. You're getting the chance to play. 
And it's not to say that there aren't guys nipping at his heels now. Lane Thomas, Bader, others dealing with that. But I do think that they've told him, hey, man, go relax, go play, do your thing. It's kind of the Colton Wong approach. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Some I, guys just need that that consistency. Kind of, well, to me, when they when they gave Schilt the reins, and Schilt had Wong in the minor leagues, and those two are very close. I don't know if you guys remember this. The first thing I said was Colton Wong is going to thrive mm-hmm. yep. under Mike Schilt. Because Mike Schilt is going to play him against left-handed pitching, and he may go 0 for 10 against lefties. And he also may get pinch hit for late in a game with a lefty up. But he knows he's going to be in the lineup the next day. And Mike's going to sit him and say, hey, this is a tough matchup, but I'm doing this the best for the team, probably best for you, but you're going to be in there tomorrow. So don't think twice about it. And you're going to be there day after day after day because I believe in you. We're going to get the best out of you. And I think that's the same thing that's going on with Tyler O'Neill. One more quick note about O'Neill and and Dan. We can go back to before the 2019 season. As it turns out, if people that are tuned in aren't aware of it, there was virtually no chance of Marcelo Zuna coming back because of O'Neill. They they liked O'Neill during that offseason, and the plan for him was to play in 2020. And Marcelo Zuna, by the way, I watched a ball last night for the Braves. Should have been caught. There were a number of balls last year probably should have been caught. One that he scaled the wall that he was about 10 feet short of. Epic. Mm-hmm. Ozuna may be a DH now. Yeah. I mean, he may be turning into a DH in front of our eyes. I mean, it just athleticism-wise, Tyler O'Neill is a better oh, yeah. athletic, more just athletically better in left field. And so I, I talked to one of the, the Cardinal coaches that said, in the minor leagues, we felt he was a gold glove defender. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be a gold glove defender in Major League Baseball. I'm just telling you what I was told, mm-hmm. that they feel he is that athletic. And if you look at sprint speed, which is measured measured by StatCast, he's one of the top 15 fastest runners in baseball, which would shock people because you look at his body and he's built. Mm-hmm. Right. He's one of the strongest guys in baseball. So uh, as a measure of athleticism, he is one of the most athletic guys in the game. Now, that's not a baseball measurement of what is baseball smarts and what are his reads and what are his jumps and that kind of thing. I'm just talking about pure speed, strength, that kind of thing. He's an athlete. So if you can put it together, you got a pretty good player. What do we got coming up on scoops? Brian Walton coming up on Wednesdays. Oh, it's, it's and already uh, Wednesday. Yeah, wow. we'll get Time's into fine. some uh, things with Dylan Carlson, what happened last night, and kind of looking at what's going on in the satellite camp down in Springfield. We'll be tuned in. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That is the great Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up. Great job today by our producer engineer, Scott Manziara. Appreciate you, Randy. And, Michelle, this was uh, another fun day. Thank you. Fun day, Randy. See you Hockey, baseball tonight, guys. Christmas. We're gluttons. Man. Gluttons for sports. It's going to be awesome. Life is good. Yeah. For all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.